0: Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 39, Bear Kebabs and Charred Dog. I'm Scatty, we have with us Brooke and Matt as always. Hello. Hey, hey, hey. Alright, tonight we'll be covering A Storm of Swords, John 4, Jamie 4, Tyrion 4, Sam 2, and Arya 6. That's chapters 30 to 34 of A Storm of Swords according to a wiki of Ice and Fire. Uh, quick reminder, we do this every time. We are spoiler free until the end of the podcast for a special segment we call Davos After Dark. Uh, then we'll get all spoilery and stuff and talk about whatever we want. Uh, we will warn you there will be a little musical jingle and take a little pause and stuff, so uh, it won't catch you by surprise. You can jump off if you don't want spoilers. Uh, also, if you want to contact us, the emails and the, the Twitters and stuff have been uh, off the chain for the last several weeks. I've uh, been getting really good stuff. Keep sending it in. We love, we love hearing from you guys. Uh love hearing what George's loyal fan base likes to say. That's DavosFingers.com. Email at wearedavosfingers at gmail.com, Twitter at DavosFingers, or on the Facebooks. Uh, you can find us there. So, without further ado, I think we're starting with John by Brooke tonight.
1: Yes, yes, we are. I have to say, this probably takes it for best episode title. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> Thanks. Well done, sir. Okay, John.
0: Where well, we're
2: going up north where the winter's cold and the icicles bloom like the bluest rose. We haven't met his mom, but we love his
1: wolf, he's giant snow. So this chapter is a good one for reinstilling our awe of the wall. John's group of wildlings are preparing to climb it using hemp rope and sharpened antlers. And John gets a little philosophical as he watches them prepare, questioning his future, and he grips safety. And if they make it over the wall, uh, you know, what's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to her? Fingers half-crossed that they just get caught by the Night's Watch. But the days when the Night's Watch could patrol the entire wall and cut back the forest along it are long gone, and the wildlings are actually pretty good at this climbing business. So how it works is it's three teams of four wildlings going up first, one of the teams led by Jarl, the young plaything of Val, Dalla's sister. Jarl is a seasoned raider, and from the sounds of it, he has the makings of a leader, which I think Mance saw in him when he sent him with the Magnar on this quest. He inspires the climbers by reminding them of the castle-forged steel swords that will go to the first team that makes it to the top, promised by Mance. Plus, they're going to get their names made into a song. Jarl's exact words are, What more could a free man want? Unfortunately, the wall is fickle, and the general disrepair and age of it, coupled with a warm day, means every foothold is precarious. Around the sixth hour of them climbing, and a few close calls, Jarl's team hits a bad patch of ice that literally sloughs right off the side of the wall. John and the Fens waiting at the bottom of the wall, find Jarl, impaled on a tree branch. Two of his climbers killed, and a third one in need of a mercy killing. His bones are so shattered. Mm -hmm. As is custom, they burn the dead, which apparently takes precedence over the possibility of their location being revealed by the smoke from the fire. And the team of four, led by Grig the goat, finally makes it to the top. The other team makes it up too, and they throw down a long rope. Ingeniously, the team at the bottom ties a hemp ladder to the end of the rope, and then the team at the top hauls up the ladder, making for a much easier climb for the 150 raiders that they have waiting at the bottom of the wall. So they actually bring up five ladders in total, and before she ascends, Vigrette says to John, I hate this wall. Can you feel how cold it is? And sarcasm, John is like, yeah, it's made of ice. And catchphrase Vigret is like, you know nothing, Jon Snow. This wall is made of blood. She actually says this wall is made of blood, which is probably good in a Scottish accent, but I'm not going to do it. And sure enough, even with the ladders to climb up the wall, two of the Fens fall to their deaths, and Ygrette admits to nearly falling three times, like the wall was trying to shake her off. And when John tries to comfort her, telling her not to be frightened, that the worst is behind them, she almost pushes him right off the wall, she's so pissed off. Because she's not scared, she's frustrated. She says, "'I'm crying because we never found the Horn of Winter.'" We opened half a hundred graves and let all those shades loose in the world and never found the horn of Joramond to bring this cold thing down. And that's the end of the chapter. So everybody has gotten to the top. Egret's like, hey, John, by the way, we never found this really, like, important, pivotal, uh, like, magical horn that could actually shatter the wall. And then that's it. George ends the chapter, which
3: was... Mm awful nice of him
1: <laughs> his status quo so to put this into perspective I tried looking up like ice climbing equivalents to the wall and it's it's actually like a, a very weirdly orchestrated world and ice climbers seem to be like have their own jargon and their own rating systems for grades of, of, of ice climbs and there's different cli- kinds of ice and I was like oh this is way too much work But I did find an article (laughs) last year. A couple of Red Bull soaked extreme ice climbers actually climbed one portion of Niagara Falls. Actually, they climbed uh, a portion of Horseshoe Falls, which is like on the Canadian side of the Niagara Falls, sort of like fall area. Anyways. only part of the falls actually froze freezes over and the water is like still running under the falls and apparently was like crazy and and it was it was so jarring that their like intestines were shaking as they were climbing up this ice that no wonder. was their this sounds
0: like an awful idea yeah, yeah, it doesn't even. Why do people do this? It doesn't Adventure, excitement. Oh, a come. Jedi craves not these things. He what are they these doing? Things.
3: Yeah, yeah. You are Red idiots. Bull
1: was literally sponsoring them. So like, <laughs> so like the same company that sends people jumping from the stratosphere. Yeah. Like, what an idiotic waste of money. But anyways, let's not, let's not get started. And um, I thought it was interesting because it's the same kind of deal. Like the the rotten ice, the extreme vertical, using ropes and picks. And such as it's sort of like the equivalent to climbing the wall, and Niagara Falls is actually pretty high. Uh, it's 150 feet in in the place where they were climbing, but the mm-hmm. wall portion that uh, the wildlings here were climbing was 500 feet. So 500 imagine,
2: feet, yeah,
1: imagine climbing Niagara Falls frozen in ice about four times in one go. Like, uh, you got to be in amazing shape. <laughs> Holy.
0: Core and by the strength. way, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you've got like long. bones, hard bones pass. on your
2: feet.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. hard oh,
1: Plus, plus, the thing is unnaturally cold, so like you're expending energy there. Yeah, it it would have been a rough go, for sure. And oh. I
3: was thinking about like all the gear they would have had to take up. First of all, you've got all the picks and all that stuff, uh, and the anchors and everything that they had to take. But, um the rope that they had to carry up to let down. Yeah. That's if it was four men for a 500, it have to be about 500 feet of rope, right? To mm-hmm. get from top to bottom. That's
0: 125 feet of rope each that each person is carrying. And it's, and and it's worse than that. Actually, I think it's at least double that because they're not just carrying a line of rope. They're carrying rope ladders. No, the rope ladders they lifted up after.
3: Oh, They used the, they dropped the rope down, tied the, but that's another thing too, is that they had five rope ladders that were 500 foot feet long that they had to carry with them to the wall. Yeah. And that also seems like that would be a beast to, uh, to haul with them, trekking
0: through the, the wild north, right? Five, 500 foot ladders. As usual, George doesn't, uh, doesn't. Doesn't deal with all the details that Logistics might uh, that might, that might hurt him logistically. That's silly. Yeah. <laughs> That's silly. Let's not think about that
3: too yeah. much. Well, if it was eight men, if it was five they don't really specify if it was five hundred foot of rope between four men or the eight men that eventually made it up to the top on that first go around. Yeah. So if it was eight guys it'd be like sixty feet of rope each. But even still that seems like a lot of rope to
0: carry. Well, but one of the groups fell, so were they counting on one of the groups falling so that they'd still have enough rope? That's why I'm thinking that. that
3: way. That's why I'm thinking uh, yeah.
0: that maybe each uh, group had enough group to group reach four the bottom. Had enough yeah. of 500 foot. That's what it seems yeah. like to me too. Yeah. They, what they needed was Sam's rope from uh, Lord of the Rings. That Lord little Rings. thin little yeah. rope that looked like it weighed nothing. He could just put it in his pocket. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's a shame, really. Lady Galadriel gave me that real ovish rope. Well, there's nothing for it. It's one of my knots.
3: Won't come free in a hurry.
1: Real elvish rope. Elvish rope. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is the, that, that bugged me just logistically, which I think is another, like, maybe George lives in a warm climate type situation, is he that does. trees yeah i know spoiler so i know like his 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 descriptions of like cold climates like like we'll see in an upcoming sam chapter like he describes like debilitating cold so cold they can't even travel and then sam steps outside and he's stepping in mud it's like (laughs) no those things do not go together that is like the ground is frozen But, but another one is that uh the trees could not grow that close to a glacier which is basically what the wall is. It's it's literally just too cold for them to live. So there would be a gap between the wall and the tree line. Mm. Like it's just the way that.
0: Brooks Canadian knowledge coming back and helping I was us again. Say, Not we, something I thought of. We
3: southerners <laughs> down in the southern portion of North America, we wouldn't have known that.
1: You're in the this wild is, north. This is what comes from. I worked one summer, literally at the base of a glacier. It was <laughs> so fucking cool.
0: And you looked around, <laughs> and you looked around, and you said, "There's no trees here. I'm going to use that later somewhere <laughs> in life."
1: But, um, but even just the wind coming off of it, like I was like at the bottom, at the end of the lake that the glacier was feeding, working at this lodge, and even there, it was like living in a refrigerator in the middle of july it snows like all year round it's it's crazy but yeah it's just it's like this and even if trees even some really hardy like pines might grow that close to that kind of cold but they'd be very stunted and very small Hmm. like for their entire lifespan anyways science
0: science george yeah professor brooke we're just gonna have to stack that up to the magic of the wall i guess Right. It's a cold, but it's a magic non-harming cold to trees. <laughs> it's
4: more like yeah, a I... blood cold. <laughs> it's, a it dry, actually, it's a dry cold.
0: Yeah, it encourages botanical life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know why they're bothering climbing the wall to begin with. First of all, everyone knows that the wall has a fractional refresh rate, and if they just flew it at light speed, they would go right through. Second, why, why don't they just... Why would anyone climb it? Go the extra few hundred miles around to the gorge, right? I don't understand why anyone would try this.
3: Mm. Oh, I don't know how guarded it is around the around
2: it like the they, they end do it of it
1: fairly often though too, and right not that time ways of here, but there it would take a lot more time to get around yeah but the, I mean, then they've travel
0: all the way inland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit. But, I mean, they already traveled They already traveled further to get to the wall than they would have to travel along the wall to get to the gorge. Well, mm-hmm. well further, if you look at the map. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it could just be
1: a plot Certain device, years. too. So. Yeah.
0: <laughs> George
3: wanted to have a cool climbing scene. And he got one. It's a cool chapter. I enjoyed mm-hmm. it.
0: But I just... <laughs> yeah. literally yes oh Uh, Uh, you did it to yourself you did this to yourself wait guys i smell something i smell something it's a it's a double standard
1: (laughs) oh it's choking me up is this like a gender double standard or just
0: (laughs) no we're not allowed to make puns but you are
1: yeah, yeah, it wasn't really a pun. I was just pointing out a funny. Your
3: groan would have shattered. Yes, the earth if Bert <laughs> Scott or I would have said that. Yes, <laughs> it's true.
1: Listen, I have the power here. I can cut out this whole conversation. We're we gonna move on, or what?
0: Oh, that's Brooke flexing her editor muscle. Which you'll never oh. hear this because I'm sure she'll cut it out. Right.
1: <laughs> um, I don't have too much on this chapter. Just like. No.
0: Uh, It's
1: just kind of excellent. The the horn is... mm,
0: Intriguing. mm,
1: Intriguing, but might be worth speaking about later.
0: Sure, we can talk about that later. I have two things. I think they're short. Um, The first one, John, in his uh, inner monologue, actually considers desertion. Because Mm -hmm. he's Mm -hmm. afraid of... uh, Desertion from the Night's Watch, I mean. Because he's afraid of what would happen... To Egret, if he ends up going yes. b- turning turning on the the Wildlings and going back to the, the Night's Watch, and I just want to, man, women make dudes crazy. I mean, mm-hmm. I know he's just getting his first sex ever, and so he's in a bit of a different state. But like, man, keep your head on straight here. Like these guys are crazy, and I don't know. Yeah,
3: that was my one note too, was exactly that, that this is really, this agreed thing is really complicating things. Yes. You know, it's like, it's like as a parent, you know, it's, there's some days where I just, you know, I like my job, but there are days where I'm like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. And maybe if I didn't have kids, I would have just walked out and never gone back. But like now it's like, I got a family to take care of. I got to think <laughs> of things you know, I can't just walk out of a job and not have any other plan in place where mm, they don't eat. Call. They don't eat dinner if I do that. So um, it's the same thing here. Where all of a sudden you bring someone else into the equation, and yeah, things get complicated, Johnny.
0: Complicated. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I feel though it was just kind of like an idle thought because his conclusion to that was like maybe they can go into what Grendel's caves. What was his name? Yeah, Trundle. Grendel. He's like,
0: yeah, he's he's reaching to like any possible straw where this could work. Right. Yeah. Like even living in a cave for the rest of his life.
1: And and just while we're on the topic, I would argue that boys make girls crazy too. Oh sure. In fact, John definitely made Egret way more crazy than she has made him. <laughs> way more crazy.
0: Yeah, that's true. She took I a mean... lot of risks to to uh to, <laughs> to bury to, herself with him in that sheepskin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> that Lord's kiss was costly. Yeah. Yeah, and but sleeping I mean, all night under those furs that she had to as put, Pointed out last time, or yeah, yeah, not she, dry. Probably. She had to put both labia into the effort to get John into that, and it was a big risk uh, <laughs> to her.
1: Stop using balls and labia interchangeably. <laughs> just oh! so. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh,
0: I don't know what those words mean, so I'm just guessing. Um, the only other thing I had is. Uh, there's a, a portion in there about the wall defending itself um, and how it casts, because it casts the wildlings off, right? Uh, one, of the, one of the three groups. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't remember where they note it directly in the chapter or not, but the wall isn't meant to defeat wildlings or defend against wildlings. It's meant to defend against others. Yeah. And I don't know that this requires a response, but what will the wall do to the others? What, like, what's it going to do to them if the others try to climb it? Would it defend itself more actively? Or is it just a wall?
1: Logic says the others would love this wall. The others would, That's like, themselves yeah. up against it.
0: Yeah, they're rubbing up and down. Getting,
1: yeah. a, nice,
3: getting a nice purring action going. I'm just yeah. imagining Baloo in the Jungle Book. Just, like, <laughs> like <against that> tree. <laughs> getting his back in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the other, got these others lined up along the wall, just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> right on. Yeah.
2: Delicious. Oh.
0: Oh. Just, just a little bit. Mm. <sighs> which. Who wrote that book? By? Was that That's Rudyard Kipling, right? Yeah. Jungle Book? I, Kipling. I don't think you wrote that part, Well, no, 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 but. Well, yeah. But It
1: was a Disney interpretation.
0: Well, maybe, maybe it is Disney that we have to blame, in which case, yes, I love blaming Disney for stuff. But, like, all those animals don't live in the same environments. The bear and the tiger. Uh, that one's. And the, me. And, yeah. and the orangutan and wolves, yeah, and well, they have wolves, but they're slightly different- they're smaller wolves, but anyway, that's like, uh, every time I watch that, I'm like these There's
1: bears in India, but like weird bears, they're like sun speckled bears, or yes, something. right Anyways, they're still...
0: smaller, they're not yeah. blue bears, yeah. Did you guys know that you were listening to a Jungle Book Rudyard Kipling podcast? You are.
1: <laughs> Surprise.
0: R yeah. for the course within us. Yeah. <laughs> R for the course. Uh, Alright, uh anything else on this chapter? Should we move on? Let's do it. Yeah, Alright, Matt it. take us away from away on Jaime.
2: Jaime would you know that he's deadly in a fight and a smile? So, why to get cheating at the palm of his hand? Jamie Lannister, gotta think for sister, gonna keep it quiet, so we'll push a kid out a window. And when that king's lying, dead, it doesn't matter, reason, bottom line is sister treason. At deepest sight, could there be something on if you can see a hero could that be? Said Jamie, said Jamie, said Jamie, said Jamie Lannister, say it again, said Jamie, said Jamie. Say, Jamie Lannister,
3: okay, so I know all of us were really worried last time about whether Jamie was dead. And no, he's not dead. But he's also never felt pain as intense as what he feels right now. He can still feel the burning in a hand that is no longer There. I mean, sure, the Bloody Mummers had provided him with the kindness of searing the stump where Jamie's hand once joined with wrist, but as you can imagine, their field medic skills hadn't undergone certification in some time, and Jamie is left with filthy bandaging over a wound that constantly oozes pus and other fluids and hurts so intensely it leaves Jamie with debilitating fevers. Uh, Unable to ride a horse due to the mental state brought on by Jamie's physical condition, the Mummers stuck him on Brienne's horse with her, and in typical bloody Mummer sense of humor fashion, they tied them to the horse facing each other in a constant, uncomfortable embrace, with the only thing between them being Jamie's rotting, severed hand that kind Urswick the Ever-Faithful had tied around Jamie's neck. Uh, I find myself who's got it worse I find myself wondering who's got it worse the one-handed Jamie or his counterpart Brienne who has to be tied up to him uh Sir Stinky with his yucky hand slapping up against her with every step of the horse and whose vomit she has to clean out of his beard after the mummers give him piss to drink and whose arse she has to wipe after he craps himself I totally I'm sorry I just have this vision in my I told you I might tell you a poop story about my kids and I just have this vision of my youngest uh, three-year-old who's he's yeah he's three and he just recently potty trained and uh, he he goes to the bathroom and he likes to be by himself when he's going number two he makes us leave the room daddy I tell you when you come back yep and uh, so he yells to me daddy come wipe me come wipe me which is already humiliating enough that I am wiping the fecal matter <laughs> off of a, ch- a child. Uh, mm. But I walk in there and he'd assumed we a new position. A yeah, <laughs> he'd assumed a position that I'd never seen before. He had perched himself on our the side of the tub, like he'd climbed up on the side of the tub, and he was perched on it like like a gargoyle. <laughs> <laughs> with his butt just facing out at me. Just waiting. Wow. Anyways.
1: Listen, I don't want to tell you how to parent. That's amazing. You're doing a great job.
3: (laughs) And I kind of paused in the doorway of the bathroom for a minute and looked at him and shrugged and went about my work cleaning him up. but uh So I thought of that when I thought of Brienne cleaning cleaning Jamie up. So anyways. (sighs) Yeah. Indeed, Jamie's all but given himself up for dead until one night as they lay out under the stars Brienne uh, stoops down to give Jamie a pep talk encouraging him to live to fight and to get revenge their captors over here and come over to give Brienne a stiff beating for her insolence but amidst her moans Jamie has his wake up moment he remembers Cersei he remembers Tyrion he even remembers uh, Rob Stark and Edmure Tully his enemies all are waiting for him and he must live them. And I can almost hear the rocky theme music as Jamie slowly begins to gain his strength, his sassiness, and his groove back. He begins to eat, to sleep, and to ready himself for the vengeance he's sure to take one day on these bloody mummers. He may have lost his hand, his right hand, his short sword hand to be sure, but that won't stop him from having a new golden one forged, which he will use to rip out Vargo Hope's throat. And how he's going to use a golden hand to Rip out Fargo's... I don't know. But indeed, a Lannister always pays his debts. So as they make their way to Harrenhal, which Jamie notes sardonically is the place where he received his white cloak at the tender age of 15, uh, some of the bloody mummers have decided they've cock-blocked themselves long enough and they are going to have their way with Brienne. Now it's time for Jamie to give the quote-unquote pep talk as he tells Brienne to mentally go away inside herself. Think of Renly, he suggests. Think of home on the Sapphire Isles. Anything. Go to your happy place. Happy Gilmore. Think of a place that's
2: really perfect. Your own happy place.
3: Go there and all your anger will just disappear. Happy place. However, when it comes right down to it, Jamie suddenly bellows sapphires at the top of his lungs and uh, stopping the rapes from happening. And Jamie suffers immensely for this, getting the crap kicked out of him by roars but the outburst pays off, drawing the attention of Vargo, who forbids any of the mummers from ever touching Brienne and therefore keeping her unspoiled and her value high when it comes time to ransom her. When Brienne asks Jamie why he did that for her, he jokingly replies that he only wanted to hear Vargo say, <laughs> uh, In any event, Brienne thanks him, notably addressing him as Ser for what I believe is the very first time. Um, The Mummers and their captives eventually arrive at Harrenhal, where they are greeted, first of all, by a fury of phrase, Danwell, Anus, and Hostine. Anus? (laughs) It's probably like Anise, but I'm going to call him Anus. Uh, A brief exchange reveals that they have left Rob Stark employ, although the reasons, well, I don't know if they've left Rob Stark employ, but they're certainly not happy with him. Uh, although their reasons are not explicitly stated. Their little chat is then interrupted by Lord sort of Hannibal Lecter himself, Roose Bolton. Ru- Bolton plays the gracious host as well as Roose Bolton can play gracious host. Uh, his creepy pale eyes belie it all to Jamie. He briefly informs them of the state of affairs with the war, including the Battle of the Blackwater, before promising both Jamie and Brienne that they are now safe. He snaps off the string holding Jamie's hand around his neck and flings it at Hote, I threatens him after hearing about the almost rape of Brienne, and then securely sends Brienne off to quote-unquote suitable quarters and Jamie to see a maester about a hand. That maester turns out to be a congenial old fellow by the name of Kyburn, who is not optimistic about Jamie's injury. He counsels that because of the infection, the arm should be amputated at least at the elbow. Uh, Jamie refuses, saying that if any more of his arm is removed, Kyburn will die. Kyburn relents, saying that he'll do his best to remove the rotting flesh (laughs) and wash out the infection, although the pain will be intense. Uh, Jamie refuses milk um, milk of the poppy, afraid of what might happen to him if he goes unconscious, and proclaims that he will simply scream very loudly. And scream he does, as Kyburn effectively does his work to a degree that Jamie can tell he'd done it before. Uh, the chapter ends with Kyburn filling in Jamie a bit more about the Battle of the Blackwater, then informs him to come back the next day, or instructs him to come back the next day for a quick leeching to get rid of the bad blood, just as Roose Bolton is fond of doing to himself. And yes, Jamie thinks Bolton would be fond of that indeed. Uh, end of chapter. Sorry for the long summary. We got a little off on Hiram acting like a gargoyle. Um, <laughs> Worth it. Uh
0: <laughs> so, toad's worth
1: it, toad's. And you just, you've just taken it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. You you calling your son sir, doing <laughs> his bidding. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. And hey, I clean, I clean up his
0: vomit too, so, you know. Out
1: of, out of his tiny beard. <laughs> <laughs> this
0: conversation is off-putting.
3: Oh my goodness. Um, so... I'm thinking about Jamie and that hand, and it's just... Ugh, just the physical pain of it all. Most intense pain you guys have ever felt? Go. What's the most intense pain you've ever
1: felt? Anyone? Uh, <sighs> I used to have this thing called GERD. It's, it's gastrointestinal. And it's basically his heartburn. It's like acid-burning esophagus. The Ooh. worst. Yeah. How about you guys?
0: Uh, I, think, <clears throat> I think the worst pain I ever had was I got... Uh... After I had my wisdom teeth out, I had dry socket. Oh!
3: Yeah, I had that too.
0: <laughs> they had... Basically, it the, got, like, infected, and they had to... Uh, like, I had to go in there. They oh just had to, like, clean it, like, squeeze out the, the pus and stuff. And it was... Oh, scared. It was awful. Uh, I don't... I mean, I don't think... I mean, uh, I'm I'm lucky. as As worst pain goes, I think I have it light.
3: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm thinking that mine's not too terrible, too. I... Breaking my nose really hurt, but it was kind of a more prolonged, like it hurt much more in the week that followed and stuff. It seemed like Um, just the soreness of it. If anyone would like even tap it, it would hurt. But I think as far as like the most intense pain I've ever felt in the moment of just like just kills you for while it's lasting type pain is pepper
0: spray. Oddly enough, you get
1: pepper sprayed? Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. How did you get, like, action movie hero nose broken and pepper sprayed? You played
0: hockey, Brooke.
3: Well, first of all, it's a big target. Uh, Any of you who have actually seen me knows that my nose is not small.
0: You got a schnoz. You got a little Um, schnoz
3: on you. (laughs) And it was uh, a puck found it. It's your Jewish heritage. It is, yeah. (laughs) Um, Puck found it. And I did break my nose playing hockey. Mm. Um, Pepper spray. (laughs) I was alone. In a dark alley, and I saw a woman coming towards me. No, I'm just teasing. That's not what happened. It was a man. Um, it was a dude
0: <laughs> <laughs> that carried pepper spray.
3: Yes, in his handbag. So uh, not. I was a security guard at our at my college campus library,
0: <laughs> and as part of our. <laughs> Matt, the nuggets we're getting about you tonight are phenomenal. So chill. It was the best job ever. Sounds like Uh, it. Pepper spray.
3: And as part of the training, we carried we got to carry pepper spray. That was our one line of defense in case someone tried to take over the library.
0: I'm just trying to imagine Um, what kind of security the BYU campus needs. Right.
1: Listeners, this is the Brigham Young University.
3: You never know when some disgruntled Mormon is going to decide not to shave and wear a beard. Up. Yeah, <laughs> you
1: might as well take the doors right off the building. What yeah. is
3: going to happen? <laughs> also, a library. They come in with an open can of Mountain Dew. <laughs> oh, son, you are getting some pepper spray right in your eye. What well, they didn't know anyway, nice. is
0: that you were the biggest risk to be carrying yeah. Mountain Dew.
3: <laughs> of course, I was smuggling it in my backpack mm. every day. Mm-hmm. Um... It was like a 30-minute training on pepper spray we had to go to. And as part of that, they actually – you had to get pepper spray to know what it felt like. Wow. uh, That sounds like bullshit initiation to me. Right? Sounds like hazing. Wow. But uh, as far as pure intense burning pain, that really killed. It really killed. And it like opens up your sinuses. So you're like crying and burning and snot is running all over your face. And it's, it's terrible. And then, so I finally got it all fixed. I went home and I put a frozen bag of vegetables over my eyes and just laid there and moaned. Um, but I eventually went to sleep that night. And then I got up the next morning and I got in the shower. Big mistake. Oh. There's pepper spray still in my hair. Oh, And so the pepper spray ran down into my eyes and oh. it was all over again. But.
1: Holy cow, that is intense. Have I'm you like about that.
3: screaming in the bathroom.
0: my roommates were scared to death. I'm like <laughs> that sounds that sounds awful. I, I can't okay, I can't speak for pepper spray, but far worse than any physical pain i've I've experienced is just the soul-crushing heartache at witnessing my body approach middle age. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know. I'd say you're aging gracefully, my friends. <laughs> I was about to
0: say the same thing Mm
1: -hmm. I mean, your breasts are really developing
0: (laughs) I've wanted them for so long (laughs) I finally just decided to grow my own
2: Master Robin You lost your arms
1: in battle How terrible
2: But you grew some nice
1: boobs (laughs) Embrace it Literally
3: (laughs) 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 Ah uh but anyways so most intense pain we've ever felt and i'm thinking
0: of jamie with no hand the, yeah the part that the pussy oozing infected um, the part yeah. that, the part that got me about that was when they talked about Kybern. like i imagined him with little tweezers like picking out little pieces of flesh like one at a time like just tearing it oh, away yeah. that's the part that got me like stabbing <laughs> Stabbing Mm. the infected parts and pulling out little—that's the part that got me. I like my hand itself twitched. Right.
4: Mm. Mm. Mm.
0: Mm. On the hand thing, uh, he talks in there a little bit about uh, feeling his hand like where it should be like twitching and aching and hurting or something. Phantom limb—they call that. Yeah. There you go. First of all. I want to, anyone that watches doesn't watch Avenger Brothers, Brothers, you totally should because one of the best villains ever <laughs> is named Phantom Limb and his power is just that his limbs are disappeared.
1: Well they're <laughs> invisible. They're, they're invisible,
0: Yes, they're still there. But you just can't see them. They're disappeared, mm-hmm. right? Um and he's just hilarious. Like what kind of a power is that? He's hilarious.
1: Have you been um, watching the new season?
0: No, I haven't. I'm, I'm <gasps> way behind. Okay. Um okay. But but also I did a little bit of a real looking at phantom limb cuz it's always intrigued me just how the body still like remembers that there should be something there it's like almost like a psychological thing mm-hmm. and in the last like 10 years or a little bit less they've come up with something called mirror box treatment which is fascinating they actually like do a mirror image of your opposite limb to visually make you think it's there like it tricks your brain into thinking you have it there, and you can like move the one limb on the, like your left side if you're missing your right, and look at it like it's moving on your right, and it fools your brain into thinking it's happening. It actually can relieve some of the pain. It oh, works. Wow. It works in like 50 to 60 percent of the cases that try it.
1: Wow, um, that's not that awesome.
0: I was like blown away by that. Like that's it's, really
1: cool. The human People
0: brain could is even so powerful. Figure that out. I know it's nuts. To like. let's try this yeah it's nuts yeah that is amazing yeah
1: i don't know that it would bother me that much because if i could get like a cool prosthetic like a winter soldier type situation oh yeah that would be be down better yeah yeah Yeah. not to make light of people who have lost limbs in i'm assuming combine accidents that's like the most common way (laughs) still not joking about it okay moving on
0: (laughs) (laughs) i'm not gonna joke about it no (laughs) Uh, you have any more on Jamie? I have some. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I love I love the part where he's this is in this, this is the chapter to me where Jamie really hits rock bottom, and mm-hmm. you're right, you can see him kind of starting to climb out a little bit. When the moment where he says, "Was that all I was?" and he's referring right. to his sword, sword hand, hand right? Mm-hmm. Was that all I was? My brain is just saying yes. That's exactly. He's finally seeing that that's what he was. His right. life was just a sword for people to leverage. He was a pawn. He was Saoirse a man. Circe in particular. But also Ares, toward the end too. He was just somebody to be used as a sword. And that's how they used him. And he allowed it to happen. And, you know, not that he had maybe a ton of choices along the line sometimes, but th- that realization to me was the point where he could be like, when you, admit, when you admit to yourself what you've been, that's when you can start climbing back up, right? Right. And uh, Awesome. Yeah, I wanted
3: to talk more about. Uh, yeah, you covered it. I think next time we'll be talking about this a little bit more, but um, especially the the counsel that he gives Brienne to go to his her happy place. Mm-hmm. I think that he's counseling that from experience, um, but I think that comes up in the next Jamie chapter. So we'll hold off, but mm-hmm. I think.
1: Yeah. Well, he did. He does mention that's how he dealt with like watching torture in Ares court and.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, so
1: he that that, that that that
0: was in this chapter. It was, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, That's um, what he did when he watched Rickard and Brandon burn. Right. I'm sorry. I
1: think, he went yeah, to his happy yeah. place when
0: he was watching Rickard and Brandon burn. Right. Yeah. 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 Rickard
1: burn and and well, Rickard or, cook.
0: Yeah. Sorry. And Brandon and Brandon trying to strangle save him, choking yeah.
1: himself to death. Yeah. Oh, that's bet. a terrible way to go.
3: And we get we get more stuff too, even more. But I, yeah, I think we get it think, in the next chapter. So,
1: yeah. We have discussed in the past, like, Jamie's motivations for defending Brienne, and I think this chapter was a really good example of what he admires in her, even subconsciously, Mm -hmm. um, because when he was, like, at his lowest point, when he wasn't eating, he was just kind of, like, letting himself die, and she Mm -hmm. was like, what are you doing? (laughs) And he's like, "Oh, I'm just dying." And she's like, "Well, you can't, because that is craven." Yeah. And I think he he really appreciated that, and 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 takes a lot of inspiration from her own bravery.
0: It, and it's absolutely, I love Brand. Like she just, she just gets shit done. It's like, <laughs> this is the situation. Okay, this is what I have to do. Like, mm-hmm. it's no, there's no cowardice. There's no feeling sorry for myself. There's none. It's just this is what I have to do, and I'll do it. Wiping your ass, yep, doing it. You know, like, <laughs> telling you that you have to eat, yep, doing it. Uh, yeah, All of it. Like, she's just so, like, I don't know, task-oriented, like, she, it's just like, this is the next obstacle, conquer it, you know? It's... And regardless of the task, too, and, and how we might question
3: why she's doing it, like, you're gonna do all of this for, or you're gonna swear your loyalty to Catelyn Stark who you just, like, barely met? Like, why would you do that? Or, yeah you're going to try to pull Jamie Lannister out of this funk. Like he's a total jerk to you. Why would you do that? You know, but yeah, she, she just does it. Yeah. Yeah, It's very cool. Good point.
1: She's very humble. She never, well, she never gives off the impression that she's doing this despite the fact she's a lady or doing this despite the fact that she's practically a knight. Like she's high born. She's just, like you said, get shit done. Whatever needs to be doing. It's just unfortunate that she uh, is so humorless. Jamie and I share this regret, <laughs> but you know I think once she gets more comfortable in her own skin, she'll 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 have a good dry sarcasm going.
0: She Hopefully. might. It'll be interesting to see if she if that grows into her. Yeah. But well, I, I want to make sure I get my one Jamie dig in. Um, <laughs> I get I, I want at least one per chapter. Um, he he says in there, if she hadn't been so pig-headed, I'd still have a hand. Which is like, that's, that's, that's a Theon moment. That's blaming <laughs> everyone but yourself. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to throw that out there.
4: True.
0: It's totally yep. his fault that he doesn't have a hand, not hers. He started that fight. He created that whole thing. Even going clear back to the fight on
3: the brook that he started when the Bloody Mummers found them in the first place.
0: Yeah, that's what sorry, <clears> that's <throat> what I was referring to. Yeah.
3: Right, Yep. He started it all. I was uh, puzzled by his one statement where he says, I have dreamed this dream before, in regards to when, um, uh, was it Bolton or Kyburn is telling him about the wildfire and how Tyrion used it to save the city?
0: Uh, yeah, I, I don't it was remember Baldwin. which
3: one tells him. Yeah. I was puzzled by that at four where he says, I have dreamed this dream before, and then... And he says it's almost. A, he said he would almost find it a joke. I don't remember. I'm sorry, I don't have the exact quote. He said, I'd almost find it funny, but no one's there to laugh with me. Uh, you remember that part? Yes. they' look it up if I wanted to. Um, so I was thinking about that, and and it hit me why it's so funny to him because he knew that back when he killed Ares, that Ares was caching wildfire to destroy the city, right? Mm-hmm. And then Tyrion turned around and used that cache of wildfire among other newly made uh, mm. jars of wildfire to actually save the city right that's uh, right that's
0: funny. It's the best laid plans <laughs> of mice and men yeah I, he, he he intended it to burn the city and then it saved the city that's great two decades later or something right
3: but uh looking forward to chatting more about jamie
0: can can you guys answer one one more question on Jamie with me real quick? Uh he says in there that uh when he was talking about getting honored uh and knighted at Heron Hall mm-hmm. he says that Ares honored me then spat on me. How did I don't think this is a spoiler I, I, but I can't remember how did he, how did he consider that he was spat on?
3: Yeah it's it's uh historical but I don't know that it's been brought up in the books yet. Um so I'm fine talking about it though cuz it
0: doesn't give like, anything away
3: a look on the wiki reveals that it happened. If you look in the history or whatever, I think. Right. But, uh, so Jamie got knighted a member of the Kingsguard at Heron Hall, right. right? He's 15 youngest person ever to join the Kingsguard. Um, is his big moment at this tourney. You know, I imagine all eyes were on him at least for a little bit, this new celebrity Kingsguard member who's so young and everything. And then before the tourney started, Ares, Sent him back to King's Landing to watch over uh, Ares' family, Rayella, and stuff like that. Okay, so okay. Jamie didn't even get to like participate in the tourney or anything like that. Okay, which, I
0: thought that's uh, what might, might well, be what it, yeah. be. it might be, what it was, right. but it seemed dramatic that he was spat on. It's like, oh, just doing your duty, but you mm-hmm. know, it was a big moment for him, I guess. Feels like his right. thunder was stolen. Okay, I'll buy it. I think that's that's what I would think is what it was. I
1: think Jamie was upset because he had asked to join this Kingsguard or um, schemed to join the Kingsguard to be close to Cersei. Yeah. He got (laughs) sad. Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: That was probably what he's most upset about. And finding
3: out that, yeah, that the only reason Tywin did it was, or that Ares did it was as a dig at Tywin Mm -hmm. to deprive him of his heir. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Whatever the case
1: fitting that there is now a privy trench where he got knighted yes mm-hmm. imagine that yeah okay so on to tyrian on to tyrian okay
0: cripples and
2: bastards and broken things but the power of the mind can give you wings drinking and japing and yeah ladies Tyrion lannister or if you please
1: So this is a great Tyrion chapter with Tyrion GSD getting shit done, just like Brienne getting shit done. Mm -hmm. Tyrion's also just like doing what needs to be done. Anyways, first things first, down to the King's Gate with Bronn to take stock of what needs to be rebuilt and also to crack wise with his BFF. Uncle Kevin was supposed to be on this, but solid, steady, tireless Sir Kevin has been leveled by news of his son Willem's murder by Rickard Karstark. Willem's twin, Martin, is still Robb Stark's captive, and pretty Face Lancel is still bedridden from taking a wound that just won't heal. So Tywin sent Tyrion to get the job done. Oh yeah, and you better find a magical way to pay for the rebuilding of all the gates as well. Tyrion, get on that. And we get a little update on Tyrion's marriage situation here while they're down at the docks. Uh, update, it's not great. Sansa still looks at Tyrion with revulsion and her cold politeness is making him crazy. Tyrion has tried to warm her up because he sincerely wants to be a good, supportive husband. Plus, half the castle knows they haven't sealed the deal and consummated the marriage. But Tyrion isn't going to go back on his word, uh, to Sansa that, you know, he'll like make them have sex uh, until Sansa says that she's ready Uh, I don't know if you guys recall that conversation they had when they were both naked in the bed yeah how could I forget so (laughs) to make matters worse when he broke the news of his marriage to Shay, Shay had already known about it and was completely unconcerned definitely not even a little bit jealous like Tyrion had secretly
4: hoped (laughs) which was a
1: total bummer uh, next up, Tyrion is going to a wine sink uh, to meet up with Simon Silvertongue, the singer who recognized Tyrion at Shay's hideaway. Tyrion has brought 30 gold dragons, a small fortune, to pay off Simon and get him out of Westeros and away from the possibility of Simon babbling and Tywin finding out about Shay. But before Tyrion can even pull out the coins, Simon is demanding a more ridiculous price. Circe has arranged for a monstrously extravagant wedding for Joffrey and Margaery, with a the theme being the Seven Kingdoms. There to be 77 courses at the feast, a tournament of seven challenges, and seven singers. Simon, unsurprisingly, didn't get a personal invitation from Circe, so he Ooh. wants one. Yeah, I know. So weird, right? He's so good. Everyone has the silver tongue record. I mean, it's like a classic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I have the,
0: I have the uh, Wood Harp Unplugged album.
1: <laughs> so I good. I just have one
0: single off of
3: iTunes. I, don't, I didn't <laughs> buy the whole album.
1: So he wants an invitation to be one of these seven singers. They kind of bargain back and forth. But basically comes down to Simon is going to start singing a little ditty about Tyrion diddling all over King's Landing unless he gets a spot. So Tyrion is like, sure, that's reasonable. I'll just get that done. And then when he joins Bronn again, he's like, Bronn, kill that guy. And that's basically the end of Simon Silvertongue. Tyrion gets back to the Red Keep and is immediately summoned by Tywin. He heads up to his dad, solar and finds Tywin admiring his wedding gift to Joffrey, a sweet new Valerian steel blade, a lion's head pommel. Tyrion wonders where Tywin got the steel, since it's well known that there are only a couple hundred Valyrian steel swords in all the Seven Kingdoms, maybe only a couple thousand in the entire world. And Tywin has tried to buy out swords from impoverished lesser houses on many occasions without success. But this sword is different. It's that dark gray Valyrian steel, but it's been pounded into ripples with a, a darker red steel. Uh, the armorer there to present the sword has said that he tried to make the whole sword a bright Lannister red, but the color wouldn't take no matter what he tried. But it's no big deal since everyone agrees that these swords are kick ass as they are. Yes. Pretty cool. Yeah, wow. that's right. I said swords. Two of them. The Wait, armor. What? Has- two? Aha, uh-huh, two. The armorer had enough to make enough steel, like a Valyrian steel to make two blades. And Tywin tells Tyrion that the other longsword is for his son. And Tyrion knows Tywin doesn't mean Tyrion. And it's super awkward because there's a sword for Joffrey. There's a a sweet sword for Jamie, but there's nothing for Tyrion. Anyways, the armorer leaves and Tywin gives Tyrion the gears for not deflowering his child bride, When Tyrion tries to deflect and asks why Cersei isn't married yet, Tywin confesses that Mace Tyrrell had rejected the suggestion that Cersei marry the Tyrell heir, Willis. Apparently, he was cool with it at first, but then the next day claimed Cersei was too old and used up, (laughs) which we can all agree (laughs) on. (laughs) And Tywin suspects the Queen of Thorns was using her influence over her son and says some disparaging things about her. Anyways, the last order of business for the day is Pycelle knocking on uh, Tywin's door, asking for a private chat, but Tywin says that Tyrion can stay. Pycelle is there to discuss another letter from Bowen Marsh up on the wall saying that uh, uh, G.R. Mormont has sent a raven from beyond the wall saying that they were under attack, and there were also a whole bunch of other ravens without any messages. And Bowen Marsh really feels like, uh, Lord Commander is in trouble and is asking for more men and he supplies any sort of support that he can get from any of the five kings down in the realm and Tywin's like uh, there's only one king down here <laughs> and uh, if this dude knew what was good for him he would remember that anyways it's becoming pretty clear that there's going to be a spot open for a new Lord Commander. And Tywin sees an opportunity here to have some influence over the watch, which uh really speaks a lot to his like um forethought and military prowess. Like the the watch right now have, have no real impact over over his um attack on the north or, or even the domination of the north like they're, they're just too far up there on the wall but Tywin wants to get somebody in there right now and he thinks that Lord Janos Slint, newly sent to the wall by his son Tyrion would be a great lord commander and instructs Pycelle to write Bowen Marsh and say hey maybe if you talk to my good friend Janos Slint, we could arrange for some more men to come up to the wall and uh yeah that's pretty much The end of Tyrion getting shit done. He uh, Mm -hmm. uh, took stock of some docks. He arranged to have a dude killed. Uh, He thought about his shitty life with his wife. He had like awkward, passive-aggressive fights with his dad. (laughs) And then uh, he felt kind of bad for G.R. Mormont because he's met him before, obviously, in Game of Thrones and uh, liked the guy. Thought he was a a cool, gruff old dude. Yeah. Anyways, mm-hmm. um, this chapter also revealed some interesting little nuggets. Um, before we get into the discussion, I just want to bring up a couple. One, we find out that Tywin has another brother other than Kevin. They have a brother named Jerry. So Jerry. It would... <laughs> I know. Jerry and. Which fully reminds me of like Parks and Recreation, Jerry. Oh. Like, yep. Bumbling, Jerry, Gary, Larry. Larry. Yeah. <laughs> When and it actually fits because this jerry disappeared eight years ago when he sailed to old valeria to try to uh find the lannister valerian steel sword that was lost there um during some conquest like hundreds of years ago
0: bright roar mm-hmm. bright roar.
1: <laughs> yes so <laughs> uncle jerry <laughs> he exists this one tiny mention. I'm wondering if he'll ever come back into play. That would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, when Tyrion mentions that hey, there's no sword here for Tyrion, uh, Tywin's actually like, go to the armory, take your pick of, of like daggers that Robert had received as gifts. He has a ton of them. And they're all really cool. But Robert only ever used the hunting knife given to him by John Aaron when he was a child, which I thought was kind of cool. That, mm-hmm. that Robert had, you know, he was king, he could have the most amazing dagger in the world, and he used probably mm-hmm. the the rather, like, plain and utilitarian dagger that was given to him by John Arend for his entire life.
3: And he'd be like gifted with daggers, and just have, and he'd just like give them to a servant who'd go chuck them in a chest somewhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, just a room, yeah. just all blades. Yeah. I was thinking
3: about that as <laughs> no, I was put actually, this just, in the dagger room, please. <laughs> I was just watching the video of when the Chicago Blackhawks, as Stanley Cup champions, went and visited President Obama. President Obama hosts the champions of every major sports or sports mm. team or whatever, and uh, they as they always do, gifted him with his own Obama jersey. And I just started thinking, what does he do with all the jerseys he gets every year? It's <laughs> <That's> true. Like, <laughs> you know that they're just like Yeah. Not even they're not even hung up in a closet. They are just packed away in like some rubber trunk somewhere, you know, mm. plastic. Yeah, at this point bin at in this the point, basement of the White House. He has
0: forty jerseys of various teams. Literally? His, well I think He's I think it. he hosts all of the five major sports Baseball, yeah. basketball, football, soccer, and hockey. But he's, he,
1: soccer? You know, really?
0: Yeah. He hosts them Believe every it year. Believe it or not. Unless yeah. Cup winners, he hosts them. And yeah. also, he'll host like the national team when they go to World Cup and stuff, so that's every four years. They'll so give him a jersey. Yeah, yeah, so it's like 42. What's plus, I'm sure he be, does. Like,
1: running your country or something? <laughs> yeah, well. You'd
0: think. Yeah. <laughs> they they all there's there's always like a, a reasonably major story after every president takes office about like how much vacation they took in their first 100 days or something mm-hmm. and I president bush set a record i remember it was like he was gone for like uh, it was crazy some crazy number of days in his 96 first 96 days uh, yeah, yeah. i don't know what it was but it was nuts <laughs> like he spent so many days on his ranch which doesn't mean they're not working necessarily but you know they're not at the white, o- white house anyway. they're working remotely yeah yeah,
1: yeah they're still human anyway take time
0: off. No, but it was like over 50%.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I can't say I wouldn't do the same. (laughs) Uh, uh,
0: And I shouldn't quote that. I don't know that number for sure. But it was, I mean, it was, it was, it was an alarming number of days away from running the country.
1: You sound like a true Democrat right now. Uh,
0: They all, they all take too much off. All of them.
1: Fair enough.
3: Mm. Mm. Anyway, I'm the... sorry for leading us away on that little tangent. Yeah, we can edit I out. take sorry. full responsibility for that one. Your fault. <laughs> I don't remember how it started.
1: <sighs> the Jersey Room. Oh
3: yeah, Jersey <laughs> Dagger yeah, Room.
1: Jersey slash Dagger Room. <laughs> we started
3: with <laughs> him receiving a dagger, and we ended with the amount of time <laughs> President Bush.
0: President Obama took for also sure. hosts every year the top armorers of the. No, that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> and they gift him with a dagger. Yeah. <laughs> Into the room. <laughs> Each jersey shall be accompanied by a dagger. <laughs> okay, can we talk about the swords a little bit? Because they're awesome. Yeah, um, pretty cool, huh? So, oh, I don't realize. I don't know if this is a spoiler or not. Did they, they say in the chapter where the steel came from? No. Okay. Regrettably, then. Yeah.
1: But, I mean, we can make educated guesses on that.
0: I will just say, I will just say then that I love that that blade looks like it has, like, blood on it, basically. Like, how terrifying would that be, running up against that in battle? There's, like, blood baked into the sword, basically, is what it looks like. Mm -hmm. It's awesome.
1: Yeah. Even, Even Tyrion didn't even joke about the sword. He didn't, like, make some sort of sword dick joke. Like... Nothing. He was like, "These are amazing." Yeah,
3: yeah, these are freaking rock. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the openings were there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh.
1: But uh, yeah, and and the the whole point of the sword, uh, or so Tywin explains. I'm sure the 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 need to reestablish the the Lannister sword legacy was important, but also because Stannis is. Waving around his flaming sword, people getting people all excited. Like maybe he's uh, mm, a Zora yeah. High reborn. Mm-hmm. So Joffrey needed some sort of like equivalent weapon.
3: Mm-hmm. Good point. Yep.
1: Yeah. Well, it's not mine. It was Tywin's point. Right. He was. He was like, hey, we gotta, we gotta get in on this. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a good comparable weapon. I mean, it doesn't light on fire, but
0: it sounds fantastic. How about some uh, a weapon even more powerful? Than Joffrey's and uh, Jamie's cousin knew uh, Valyrian steel swords. A 12-stringed wood harp, more deadly than a longsword. Oh, yes. Simon. This guy, he's far too overconfident for where he is, right? Yeah, he doesn't have... Any sort of brains? and an, Yeah,
3: any sort of leg up on someone like Tyrion. So, I mean... Oh, it, it,
0: it sorry, just, bud. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like people should be more wary when they're threatening others. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and
3: Simon doesn't know this, but I think Tyrion's learned from uh, sometimes the unintended consequences yeah. of keeping people alive when he shouldn't. Um, maybe he regrets not killing Pycelle outright. It's now Pycelle's or, back. Sense, uh, John, John Slint, who now might become Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. And if Tyrion would have just killed him, then He's done for, so uh, Tyrion's learned his lesson on letting people live when maybe he shouldn't. Yeah. And his ruthless is showing. Yes, his ruthlessness. Yep, thank you.
0: Tyrion says at one point he's talking about how much Sansa hates him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that she, she abhors him because he's not fair or because he's a Lannister. Can he do he can't do anything about either of those things, right? Yeah,
1: it's pretty screwed, both accounts.
0: I mean I don't know. I guess this is just where I say again, I pity this guy.
1: Yeah.
3: Uh let's give Sansa her credit too though. That it's hard to just force yourself to love somebody when you're forced into it in the first place. Oh, you know.
0: Let me be clear, I'm not saying she's wrong. I'm just right. saying I feel bad for Tyrion.
3: Uh huh. I don't, I, stop, yeah, we, I don't dispute yeah. that. I don't think there if needs we, to be like a, hello? I feel more bad for Sansa than I do for... I, we can hear you, be, Yeah, we can hear you. Oh,
1: we sorry. don't. There
3: doesn't have to be like a competition of who we should feel more bad for. Uh, I think it sucks for both of them. Yeah.
1: But let's just imagine for a second what would happen if Sansa did suck it up and they started scheming together. That would be mm-hmm. pretty great, right? I think... Like the fact that Cersei has all of her handmaidens on both of them, yeah. they started conspiring together. They could start feeding like false that information. information. Cersei, yeah. yeah, yeah, it would be great. Oh,
0: yeah, I think they could be a great power couple. Do do you, do you guys watch? uh, You don't want? Oh, Brooke does. There's a character in The Walking Dead named Carol who's basically a badass. But she, when they when they got to this town uh, where they were trying to immerse themselves, she basically played up that she was like. This Susie Homemaker, non badass mm. character. And Sansa doesn't even have to pretend, right? <laughs> In this, like she can play that role, like this kind of unassuming, innocent character. And yeah, those handmaidens would just eat it up, right? And they could totally take advantage of that situation. That'd be Very awesome. True. Uh, but what made me feel even, you know,
3: just even more pity for little Tyrion was just seeing how much, not so much that he wants Sansa for lust's sake. Although he does find her attractive, I think. But he just wants to be in a real relationship so badly, right?
0: Uh-huh. He, Cue he, my he, cannon again for Tyrion. Yeah,
3: he says, I want her as well. Child or woman or whatever she is. I want to comfort her. I want to hear her laugh. I want her to come to me willingly to bring me joys and sorrows and even lust. He just wants to be loved, feel love, be a part of something, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's just... Yeah. It's such a good thing to strive for that Tyrion wants.
0: Yeah, I've, I've said it before. That's my total headcanon for Tyrion. I just want him to find love somehow, whether it's uh, Tisha or someone else um, in the end and and, and just, be, just be alone with them and bask in the, a relationship. That scene that we got in, I think it was in uh, Clash of Kings, where he's just talking about that time they spent together when they were briefly married... Like, Mm -hmm. he just wants that. He just wants someone to love him. Like, I think he could do without all the politics and everything.
3: Settle in as a librarian somewhere. Yeah,
0: that's my headcanon. Yeah, a librarian on the banks of a river somewhere.
3: (laughs) With Hodor there as well to help him reach the high shelves. That would be awesome.
0: That'd be great.
1: Yeah, Yeah, and he kind of wants that... That relationship like or at least some reciprocation from shay like exactly. he really cares about her well-being yes. like he yeah. he's gone to great lengths for yes. her safety yeah.
4: and, and she's she gave like, him nothing
1: yeah. oh man that was callous yeah, yeah. <laughs> he like he, he made special arrangements to get her alone before the wedding so he we could break it to her and she's like oh yeah no I yeah heard about yeah that. I heard about <laughs> that. it's cool don't worry about it man yeah, <laughs> yeah. <It's fine>. Oh.
0: <sighs> I heard also that she wouldn't uh, get down on her knees so that you could put the cloak on. I heard it was hilarious.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's so mean. How can you imagine if she brought it up?
0: (laughs) How'd that ceremony go? How'd how'd the cloak ceremony go there, Tyrion? How'd it it go? Looking at him all sassy and stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. I'll get on my knees for you, baby. (laughs) Yeah, I Uh, said it. You said it. Alright, moving on. Yep. Oh, Tyrion? uh, Never nude.
3: That's (laughs) That's, all.
1: <laughs> That's what he's become. <laughs>
0: yes. That's all.
1: He's got his cutoffs on underneath his nightshirt.
0: <laughs> oh, uh I never knew. And remember
1: he commanded Sansa to be never knew too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got. Just it should always it that. should always go in pairs.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> I have needs, you know. And how am I not addressing your needs? How can you even
0: ask that? What is Uh this? Oh, go right to that. Good, go right there. Real mature. Really great. All right, Sam. Samwell. You don't think...
2: That you belong here, but boy, let me tell you, you do. Samwell, tarley, they can hardly keep your dreams from coming true. Slaying things that'll make the bravest shiver. Time and time again, boy, you deliver. Slaying, fighting, reading, and writing. Samwell, boy, this world was made for you.
3: So, Sam's chapter. There's this great line in the song, Funny the Way It Is, by Dave Matthews, the Great. And um he's talking about how, you know, it's funny how, Some bad things are happening at the same time. Good things are happening. And one of the lines that I just thought of as I was reading the start of this chapter, he says, funny the way it is, not right or wrong. On a soldier's last breath, his baby's being born.
4: Um.
3: It's kind of what we got going on here as we find that Samwell and the 43 other Night's Watch survivors from the massacre at the Fist have found this temporary, uncomfortable reprieve at the compound of their old friend, Craster. And indeed, amidst the dying of men who made it this far but aren't likely to make it any further, uh, one of Craster's daughter wives is in the midst of labor. She's having a kid. Um, Daughter wives. Can we call them, like, dwives from now on so I don't have to keep calling them daughter wives? I thought of calling him Waters but that could get confusing so we'll call him Dwives but well, I mean, in the word uh, in the words of common and rock him before him no one is smiling uh, craster complains that he doesn't have sufficient supplies to care for all these injured men who he hates anyways and the men of the watch complain that craster's not taking good enough care of them And one part of me wants to, like, tell the watchmen to quit bellyaching and be grateful for the fact that he's doing anything for them. And the other part of me wants to throw my hands up in exasperation at Craster for agreeing to take them on in the first place. Why, if you hate him so much, just turn him away. I don't know, maybe he felt like he didn't have a choice. Anyways, a few of the men have begun to grumble, postulating that Craster would have to have more supplies than he's letting on to in order to feed all his dwarves. Uh, Sam, for his part, meekly agrees with them, although he's much too frightened to bring it up with Craster. So after listening to Craster complain about the screams of the woman in labor and how much of a wuss his dwive was being, and that dwive turns out to be Gilly, the same one who'd begged for Sam's protection the last time he was there, uh, Sam leaves Craster's hall to go out and get some air. It's here that we find out about what we're all thinking about. What happened after Sam killed the other? How rude of Gurm, he ends the chapter with him killing another, and then he starts off and is not even addressing it. Finally, we're getting to the story. Um, certainly, Sam's seen as like this true hero now, right? Nope, not really. Most of his brothers are taking the story with a grain of salt, even chalking it up to luck. Even though, in my experience, there's no such thing as luck. Um, and some outright dismiss it as a lie. They've taken to call him Sam the Slayer which the uh, wise Sam correctly deduces is mockery, even though the ever-positive grin tells him to run with it and wear it proudly. And wearing labels proudly, that's a minor theme we've seen woven throughout the series thus far, eh? But anyways, J.R. Mormont believes Sam's story and attempts to take the proper precautions by arming his men with dragon glass. Here's the thing, they barely have any dragonglass. A couple daggers, a few arrows, and a single spear that the guard sentries trade off as they're coming on or off shift. It's obvious that if the others did try to attack, uh, they wouldn't have a lot of dragonglass to combat them with. Craster, however, assures them that his land is safe, as he is quote-unquote right with the gods. Hmm, ominous undertones indeed. Uh, As Mormont and Sam discuss how unfortunate it is that the Night Watch seems to have forgotten that their primary enemy is the Others, as well as how to find more dragonglass, Craster emerges from his main hall announcing that he's got a new kid-slash-grandkid, and it turns out that it's a boy. In the same breath, he complains of the additional mouth to feed, and none too kindly suggests that Mormont pack up his things and go, which Mormont, it turns out, was planning on doing ASAP anyways. Uh, meekly and out of nowhere sam offers to take the new baby with them remembering the rumors he'd heard about what craster does with baby boys hint he leaves them out in the snow this sends craster into a rage and mormont too so oh well nice try slayer Uh, upon finding out that the watch would be hitting the road the next day craster becomes almost excited and decides to throw some semblance of a good riddance feast for the departing crows Uh, Of course, some of the men grumble, starting with Clubfoot Carl, another great name. Any name that has Carl in it is a good name, uh, who begins harassing one of Craster's uh, wives for only bringing out two loaves of bread. And as often happens with men, they find strength in numbers and soon more join in the complaining, ignoring Jair's command to shut up. And it's when one of the men outright calls Craster a bastard that all hell breaks loose like i don't know if uh, we might have seen this a couple times in the stories and george does a good job of this of like fecal matter making contact with uh air circulation device and we see it just happening beautifully here Uh, craster grabs his axe and launches himself at clubfoot carl throwing people and food everywhere. He's intercepted, however, by Dirk, who swiftly slits the sickled wildling's throat. Uh, Mormont attempts to restore order, lamenting the curse they brought upon themselves by breaking the laws of hospitality, but he, too, is brutally stabbed by Olo Olophand and left to die. At this point, Craster's Keep descends into just a hell of screaming women, horny and hungry Night's Watchmen, and plenty of death. So as the dust, dust settles, Sam finds himself seated on the floor with Commander Mormont's head in his lap. Uh, not a severed head. Uh, Mormont's still there. But it's one of those classic dying moments that we see in films where the dying one is giving final instructions to the living one. In this case, for Sam to get back to the wall and tell them everything that had occurred on this ill-fated ranging. We also get a shout out to Jorah Mormont, Jorah's son, Uh, Jayor instructs Sam to find Jorah and tell him that his dying wish is for Jorah to take the Black. Sam openly admits that there's no way he'll even make it back to the Wall. Not only have friends like Gren and Ed disappeared, but mutineers like Ollo and Clubfoot Carl aren't likely to let him leave, and plus he doubts he could ever make it all the way back to the Wall on his own. Um, It's just then that three of Craster's wives shove their way into the conversation, one of them being Gilly, clutching her newborn baby boy. They insist that Sam must get away and take Gilly with him. Doesn't matter where, just get her and the baby out. Um, They will get the boy, the women say. When Sam asks who they are, the women tell him, the boy's brothers, Craster's sons. The white cold is coming, and that means they will be there soon. And that's where the chapter ends.
0: Whoa! Dude, first of all, good Obi-Wan pull. That was uh, masterfully done.
3: <laughs> yes, thank you. I just, like, it's one of those where you can't believe it's actually happening. Like, George, like, segues into these all-hell-breaking-loose moments uh, so, like, seamlessly that you almost don't notice it's happening until you're like, Wait, 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 Craster's dead, Mormont's dead? What's happening, right? Yeah. It was just... It was it was crazy to read. it was very cool,
0: yeah, it happened really fast, and mormont he kind of go back to the plot that the some of I, I don't know, I remember if any of these people were involved in that original plot, but it's clear that there were people that were unhappy with the direction of the watch <laughs> it was way back on the fist of the first men when they were plotting something yeah. similar, and uh you know it happened anyway, yeah like, he had lost control of of the men.
3: He totally had. Yeah. Uh, Clubfoot Carl was one of the conspirators along with. Was Chad. he okay?
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, here's the thing, though. the The whole setup was that he hadn't lost control of the men. I mean, when Sam walked outside, everyone was doing their duty. They were cutting. Cutting down wood, um, they were feeding the horses, they were butchering the Garons that weren't going to make it. So they had food for the night, you know, uh, everything was going okay. In fact, it was was a classic George setup where things were kind of looking up, like they were going to leave the next day. And then some Black Brothers just got mouthy. Hmm.
3: But you kind of feel like there's this undertone of discontent that's just brimming, 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 brimming. Um, but even when it started happening, you know, with them calling Craster a bastard and everything that happened at the dinner table there, I still didn't expect for, you know, in one page, Craster and Mormont are both killed, you know, it's crazy.
0: Yeah. Like, I mean, had Craster just not put, cause Clubfoot Carl was about to sit down, right? Mm-hmm. And if he had just let it go and let him sit down, the whole thing would have been avoided. Right. But yeah. he didn't. He's like, no, you're not going to sit down and eat with us. You're out of here. You know? Right. And sparked
1: the and, whole thing. And what are those women going to do now? I mean, what are they going to do about the, the Black Brothers, like, rootling around in their, in their winter stores? And, like, yeah. Uh, and, it, obviously, the whole sacrifice thing was working out really well to keep the others away. What are they going to do now?
3: Right. That's what I was thinking, too. It's like, on the surface, it's like, oh, Craster's dead. Our mm-hmm. problems are solved. Nope. In fact, oh. maybe they're getting worse.
1: No, it was a terrible, horrible thing that they were doing, like giving those babies to the others or whatever was happening to those babies. Mm-hmm. But it did work.
4: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, like, but let's. Can we talk about that a little? So the others were basically getting. I don't. I mean, it's all speculation, I suppose. Maybe it belongs in Davos After Dark, but they're getting all of their roster numbers from Craster and his wives?
1: Yeah. that's. <laughs> or do they the, that, have little
0: Craster setups all over the north?
1: That's like, one of the going theories. Little deals
4: with...
0: <laughs> yeah, he's got little deals with, like, several little Crasters kind of spotted across the land. Well, that's and, like, one recruiting. of the going
1: theories, is that uh, the Others are actually humans turned into others. others.
4: Yeah, But
1: they start out as humans. Like, the Others aren't, like... I don't know. Like getting pregnant and birthing others, yeah. or laying eggs yeah. and fertilizing them. We whatever. don't know.
0: We we don't. I mean, we know. We know certainly that they take the babies and turn them into others, right? I mean, that right. seems clear from, especially from this chapter. But it's hinted at before now. Um, but do they have other ways too, or is that it?
3: Well, and what's interesting mm-hmm. to me is the fact that it seems like they prefer babies, which suggests to me that there needs to be like a raising up to become an other, or like an indoctrination that has to be done or something like that. Yeah, they
0: make them uh, take some pepper spray in the face first. <laughs> there you go. And, and then they can become other. Slowly
3: work their way into yeah. it. Because if not, why would you get baby others? Like why would you want babies? It seems like that's an investment, right? Because you've got at least sixteen years that you've got to raise them up till it seems like they'd be at full fight and power like um, raising so them sullied. So right. So it it has to it, there has to be like some sort of training involved or indoctrination or something. Otherwise just get grown men, right? And turn them into others. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's interest it's gonna be interesting to find out, you know. Yeah. the whole and process it, of what they do after they get the babies. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We don't we don't even really need to discuss in Davos after Dark either because we don't get a ton of information No.
0: On we know very little else other than what we see by now.
1: Yeah. And like I mean the those the primary, primary bad
0: guys. Yeah. yeah. And th- this chapter does one thing really poorly to me. And and maybe maybe George is doing it intentionally. I'm not sure, but they keep talking about if the Whites attack, they're going to use the dragon glass on them. Mm-hmm. Which is like, we don't, we have no evidence what dragonglass does on whites. Dragon dragonglass does anything to whites, And, yes. I mean, I assume it would work just like any other knife, at least. But that doesn't do anything to whites, really. Unless you can, like, dismember them to the point where they can't move. In fact, dragonglass is fairly brittle, isn't it? Isn't it yes. obsidian
3: fairly brittle compared yes. to, like, hard steel?
0: Yeah, so. I mean, it'll still do your cutting. but right. it, But, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, if it clangs <laughs> against a rock, yeah, it can break, right? It's a slug. <laughs> Yeah, you want to have your fire for the whites, right? And uh, they just seem confused about that. And they might be, yeah. yeah. And anyway, I thought that was weird.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, uh, I didn't. I didn't bring it up in my summaries at all. But we had some great Ed seds yeah. in this chapter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as they're cooking up old Bannon, right? And mm-hmm. he talks about if I had a mind, I had half a mind to carve a slice off him. We had some applesauce. I might have done it. Pork's always <laughs> best with applesauce. <laughs> then he threatens Sam: "You best not die, Sam, or I fear I might succumb."
0: <laughs> Sam's fat, and there's more crackling on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ed, uh, yeah. Ed's, Ed's a fan of the. Uh, and Then he
3: talks about how fatty stuff. If they, if they find out, um, they could like turn, just the turn. Night's Watchmen into whites. They might just do it so that they they don't have to like make them sleep and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good Ed saids. Nice to have a return of Dolores Ed. We haven't had him for a
0: while. You uh, you talked a little bit about in your, your summary about the, the the ongoing theme of just owning what you are. Right. And we're, we're owning t-
3: what other people. And right. project onto you. Either. Right,
0: right. And I, yeah, I, I told that story last episode or the one before about my friend from college, uh, Uncle Carl, um, who, you know, became the role, also right? Also has Carl in his name. Also has Carl <laughs> in his name, yeah. Well, his name isn't Carl. We named him Ca- Uncle Carl, so we picked Carl because apparently we like the name Carl too, which I didn't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, Gren, Gren is basically saying to Sam with the Slayer stuff, pretend to be it pretend to be it and you'll you'll become it you'll right? become it yeah just pretend pretend to pretend it's true and you you can live up to that and you know for all intents and purposes it is true you did kill another so you know own up to it take some pride be the man right. Yep. pretend
3: like i feel like my whole adult life has just been me pretending <laughs> Like, me pretending to be good at my job, me pretending to be a good dad and husband. Like, uh, when in all reality, I have no idea what I'm doing 75% yeah. of the time, right?
0: <laughs> We're all faking it a bit. Yeah, just fake it. I remember, I might have said this before, but I remember somebody once asked me what I did for a job, for, like, what my job was. And I said, my job is to convince my bosses daily that I have value. that <laughs> I'm
3: competent,
0: yeah. <laughs> and, totally. you know, like it's a, it's a very sarcastic way of looking at it um but it is true you're you're kind of you're you're taking whatever comes at you and you're you know making chicken salad out of it right and i don't know eh, caesar salad whatever chicken caesar salad yeah all right anything else on sam not for me
1: no i'm good on the slayer we
0: we should every time we say the slayer we should play some slayer we oh, lo- good. we'd probably lose listeners that's a good yeah. idea Reign of blood
3: just, just a quick line
1: i don't think i've ever actually listened to slayer but i'm fairly confident it won't be good
0: you're not missing much it's <laughs> it's metal it's hard metal i probably i think i even butchered that the name of their most famous song Rain of blood, raining blood. I don't remember. Anyway,
1: I think it's Reigns of Castamere.
0: Yeah, good point. Uh, okay, Arya. Arya on the foot, horse face, sticking with the pointy end. Arya on the foot,
2: horse face, sticking with the pointy end. Ah.
0: Harwin removes Arya's hood, and she sees a giant fire in an even bigger cave. They're apparently in a hollow hill with weirwood trees. Growing, th- going through it. It's part stone, part weirwood tree, part earth, and pretty much all mega. Uh, there's a newly thin, newly gray-haired, and also newly re- newly religious Thoris of Mir, the formerly fat red priest that would light swords on fire in melee's and try to drink King Robert under the table. He greets Arya, Gendry, and the Hound. The Hound. Yeah, it turns out the Hound was the Mad Huntsman's captive that from the last Arya chapter. Uh, the Hound. What? What? Yeah, uh, we pretty much solved that one last time. Case cracked. (laughs) Uh, The Hound recognizes Thoros, but Thoros assures him that he is not the same man that the Hound recognizes, and that many powers long asleep are waking. When Sander charges that Thoros' company is very uninspiring, we get the tale of the Brotherhood Without Banners from a man sitting entangled with the Weirwood. Turns out it's Beric Dondarrion, the leader of that party. They were 120 soldiers uh, that left from King's Landing, but as they fell, they were replaced by many and more common folk. They still serve Robert's orders, given by Ned, uh, on that one day where Ned governed, uh, to exact revenge on Gregor Cogaine on behalf of all the people uh, of the war-torn regions of Westeros. Their numbers may be swelling, but Beric himself is a goddamn wreck. His head is smashed in. He's missing an eye. He's got rope strangulation marks all around his neck, and more when he removes some more clothing. Uh, he's he's a mess. Sandor continues to bait the Brotherhood, enticing them to fight uh, and insisting they aren't knights at all. But they insist it is justice he will get, not a brawl. The Brotherhood without Banners accuse Sandor of many things. Seriously, guys, it's like a whole page of just names that they accuse him mm-hmm. of. Different members of the Brotherhood Without Banners just trade, take turns naming names that they're saying he's responsible for murdering. But he denies being involved in any of those atrocities until Arya comes forward and accuses him of killing the Butcher's Boy from way back in that puppy-side fantastic chapter of A Game of Thrones. At this, the Hound finally recognizes her, amused to no end, exclaiming, Don't you know you're dead? But Sander can't defend, can defend, he can defend even this accusation. He was given a royal order to kill Micah the Butcher's Boy. Since no one can break this he-said-she-said said kind of stalemate, they decide that God should decide, which of course means trial by combat in this world. And it turns out it's going to be against Dondarrion. Arya gasps as the Hound exults, and we don't know what the hell Gendry is thinking. Did I mention he's around? We don't hear much from him. <laughs> the two ready themselves for battle, Thoros leads the cave in a prayer to the Lord of Light and Beric Dondarrion sets his sword on fire with his own blood. He slashes his uh, sword across his hand and then the thing lights on fire from his blood. And then they dance. Swords clash, the flames fly around, give and take, back and forth, each man gaining and losing advantage until a vicious downcut from Dondarrion sets Clegane's shield afire. And then his arm after that Beric rushes in to finish him off, but a desperate, fierce overhead swing from the Hound breaks Beric's sword in twain, and incidentally also cuts Beric from shoulder to breastbone. The Hound quenches the fire by rolling around on the cave floor, and the Brotherhood takes Beric away, presumably to die. Arya insists they kill Sandor anyway, but is rebuffed again by this Lord of Light business. He's meant to live, because he survived the trial by combat... Clegane taunts her by admitting to killing Micah, watching her sister get abused and her father beheaded. She yells at him to go to hell, to which Barak Dondarrion, yes, the lightning lord returned, replies, He has. As he staggers back into the room. On his feet. Magic. What? Or God. Or medicine in action. uh, Apparently healed and not dead.
1: I'm about to sign up for this relore business.
0: I know. Ha! Huh. It's nuts. I mean,
1: yeah, seems believin.
0: I mean okay, so we've we've talked before about I think this is clear to everybody. Uh Thoros is a red priest. He's essentially with Rolore. Uh the same relore, supposedly, that Melisanders with, but this version of of the Lord of Light magic seems a lot different than Melisanders. And I don't, I don't, I I don't, they seem a little bit like a cult, these guys, but there's also clear power. I mean, he's severed from his shoulder to his chest, and he's fine, kind of. Yeah, he's on his feet,
3: so which it's, is not where you'd expect him to be.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: lighter it, fluid blood?
0: Uh, yeah, lighter fluid blood, I mean, that seems somehow, That I don't know how they're parlor tricking that. That's a
3: big one, yeah, because Melisandre... Has said that it's you know she's parlor tricking yeah the sword whereas Barrett cut himself blood dripped onto the sword and the sword lit on fire
0: yeah I like so I don't know it it doesn't seem like it's a huge theme and that maybe you guys will check me if I'm wrong I don't think I don't think the fake versus real priest kind of thing is a huge theme in this book or like, I don't think it's 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 not beaten into your head mm-hmm. but. I just I get the feeling that thoros is like the real thing he's hmm. he seems like the yeah. real priest here Maybe and because he's like is like sort
1: reluctant of... priest, yeah, right like the reluctant hero trope like so so it it's it's he's more trustworthy because he didn't ask for this he uh he was just enjoying drinking and wearing sweet robes
3: yeah it's almost like he kind of had a rebirth or or something like that yeah. uh,
0: mm-hmm. a, 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 a this whole experience with the brotherhood. Help me out, matt there's one of the uh, one of the apostles in the the Christian faith right that was he was he was like lived on the wrong side of wasn't exactly yeah. a, a wholesome being no? Saul
3: Saul of Tarsus who became paul
0: yes, right seriously yeah, right that's it. Look at me! I think that's two episodes in a row. I'm calling the religion in. Yeah, I wow. I try to like hang back to like not force it on you guys or
3: anything. And
1: I don't still, know. I'm just, just
3: opens the door.
1: Really impressed by your trivia knowledge. I am too. This guy went from Saul to Paul. That sounds made up.
3: No, that's true. That's for sure true. He didn't. Mm. He didn't like change who he was. Like he didn't switch
0: from one person to the other. Just name change. Yeah, it's like uh, Muhammad Ali taking a. Taking the Muhammad Ali name from his Cassius Clay name, right?
1: But you didn't like phone it in and change one letter. <laughs>
0: That's true. It's true. Mm, this will fool everyone. Saul makes me identify with my old self. Paul. So I'm gonna go with hmm, Saul, 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 Paul! You realize, Saul, that those are only like three letters apart, right? Yeah. Good enough. <laughs> I'll also grow a beard. <laughs> Oh, okay. Anyway, uh I just I don't know, I I get the feeling his his magic comes from a truer place than hers. Hers is like showy and she's all bright and beautiful and mysterious and he's just like this dirty priest. And it's I don't know, it it feels it feels more real somehow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there does seem to be some
3: legitimacy to it. I took a whole page of notes. Uh, divided down a line dividing the middle of the page, thoros on one side, Melissandra on the other that's uh I prepared for Davos after dark, but nice uh, there's definitely some cool comparisons to make between the two of them I think
0: cool, well, we will look forward to that reality check for the hound so i don 't know whether George did this intentionally or not, but what I got out of this whole page of names uh is like they you know these guys are trying really hard to just like make the Hound into a villain. And right. he didn't, he's like, I didn't, I didn't do any of that shit. It wasn't right? there. Yeah, and, and if you look back, you're you're forced to admit, like, of what we know, he hasn't actually done anything wrong. Anything. Mm.
3: That he wasn't uh, commanded to do. Other,
0: right? other than putting his name in the hat for the Creepy Award with his treatment of Sansa, which is mm. definitely at least borderline he hasn't he hasn't killed anybody who wasn't absolutely commanded to kill. He actually jumped in to defend somebody who was about to get killed by his brother that he wasn't required to do. He did it like out of well, who knows out of what hatred of his brother or wanting to do yeah. the right thing who knows um, I yeah, was not liking Gregor very much yeah. yeah but i I mean if you really look at his account, it's like oh uh, yeah, um he hasn't done anything other than kind of be an asshole
3: right and follow orders, yeah. Am I going too far with it? No. I mean, I really don't like him killing a little boy, but Joffrey told him to. Uh, I'm not saying that's right, but it could easily be an excuse. That, if, so. if
0: he doesn't do that, they kill him. Right. So, I mean, it's like disobeying a, an order from a king or a prince. It's like, yeah, your, your own life is forfeit, right? Yep. Brooke sounded like she was going to disagree. I'm hoping she does. I'd love to have a fight.
1: No, actually, I'm glad that you brought this up, and it'll be interesting to think on. My knee-jerk reaction is, just him taking pleasure in killing little butcher boys <laughs> is, like, enough. Like, that's
3: true. <laughs> yeah, the attitude uh, does go into it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't well, he wasn't, seem to mind. He wasn't again,
1: reluctantly following orders. He wasn't, like, going to his happy face a la Jamie. Yeah, um, maybe.
0: But, but again, he's he's playing the role. Yeah.
1: Right. A little, maybe. I think I he's, got, he's, he's a very complicated character, which I appreciate <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, I enjoy, yeah. and I enjoy, and I don't think that he should be condemned for this list. But.
0: Well, I, and I think you're worried about me casting him as a hero, which, you're right, he isn't that either. It's not black or white, it's very gray for him. Mm-hmm. Sure, that's, that's mm-hmm. fair. Thank you for pointing that out.
3: I do like how uh, they totally, the Brotherhood being they, jumped all over the Micah thing like oh fine yes you Yeah do, oh witch. yeah try him try him try yeah, him Yeah I was there too I saw that Well she did do the nose <laughs> and the yeah. and the hat but she's a witch <laughs> Burn
2: her We have found the witch may we burn her Burn her burn her Burn her do you know she is a witch She looks like one yeah, looks-
3: I thought of uh uh who was the gangster that they eventually got on tax evasion Oh it was um it was Al Capone right Mm-hmm. There's all these Bell terrible frogs. things, and what event? Eventually, they got him on was yeah. know, tax evasion or some yeah. silly thing like that. But- yeah, oh yeah, yeah, that guy, that you killed that kid. Yep, yep, put him on trial. Put him
0: on trial. We got him. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gendry's been warning us for many chapters about fools be lighting swords on fire and weakening the steel. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Whoops. Yeah. Don't do that anymore. I got a little
1: excited there. I thought maybe it just hadn't been mentioned that it's a Valyrian blade, but obviously not.
0: Apparently not. Yeah.
1: Hmm.
0: You mean the Hound's
1: blade? No, Dondarian's, the one that broke.
0: Oh. Oh, like Valyrian blades can catch fire? You mean? Yeah. Oh, that would—that cool. would
1: have been—that would have been a better explanation. Yeah. Totally.
0: I didn't even think about that. Uh.
3: Uh, I realized just now looking over my notes that I didn't actually research this, but I'm pretty sure I know the answer. The sword that Joffrey, that are of Joffrey's that Arya threw into the lake. Lion's tooth, right? Yes. Yep. She calls it lion's paw in the chapter. And uh, I wondered for a split second if George made a mess up, but it's probably her just like not remembering uh-huh. or something. Right. But, um,
1: or, yeah. Well, she's probably or that of or smart. making fun of it. Right. Yeah. Hmm. But good catch.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't notice that. D- d- does Barrick seem other than his obvious physical na- uh you know um issues? <laughs> he seems seems with it, seems together, seems doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with him, right? So far. Entirely lucid?
1: Yeah. He's kind of tired.
0: Yeah. Yeah, a little, yeah, tired. Who wouldn't be leading that kind of effort for? Anyway, always
3: on the run, right? Like yeah. no one can find him ever.
0: It's... Yep. You guys have anything else for uh, the Arya chapter? Okay. Nope. Uh All right. Thanks everybody for joining us on this episode. We're about to jump into Davos after dark. Uh, join us in three weeks for episode forty, our double uh, score episode. Catlin four, Davos four, Jamie five, Tyrion five, and Arya seven uh, in a storm of swords for that one. It's getting saucy, and yeah, we'll be back in three weeks. Uh, and now it's time for some Davos after dark cue music.
2: Davos after dark. Oh yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, I wanted to start. Uh, well, why don't, why don't we just start with the Thoros stuff?
1: Yeah. So Thoros has been making out with Don Darian, bringing him back to life. We think it's, every time. Just uh... a big, deep, old French kiss.
0: Wow.
3: Yeah, is he just wanted to get <laughs> some action? Is that heard. why he
0: keeps doing it? Is this like some underground theory that B- Dandarian and Thoros are, are gay or something? Oh, no. It, it is now. <laughs> no, I
2: was just... This is
3: our contribution to the theory. Rumors get their internet.
1: This is our contribution. How did a man and a woman, or a, a man and a dog? It doesn't matter. It would still would have been funny.
3: We've got we've got Team Jon. We've French got Mance Rhaegar. We've got Thoros and Beric ship. <laughs> wow, love it.
1: Uh, well, hmm, yeah. Well, I can see it happening. There's, there's just not enough evidence. Well, but, and uh, that's
3: the big question I have is what is so great about Beric that Thoros is willing to keep bringing him back, you know? Um, Yeah. I mean, he's a cool guy and I think Beric's a really cool character, but
0: the Dendarian house is a morally driven. Yeah.
1: And Thoros in his newfound religion really admires that. Sorry. Go ahead. Scott.
0: No, I I think your point is probably more valid. I was just going to say the Dendarian house is a a reasonably old house and well-respected. If I remember right, I may not. Um, but not huge, but not a huge house no um, they're I can't remember whether they're in Dorne or whether they're on the they bottom are. part of the stormlands now yeah. um, but but they're down there kind of where the storm where the stormlands meet Dorne, if I remember right, right. and and um, you know may, maybe it's just a matter of trying to keep a leader I mean maybe they're running short on leaders you know we, we know that their numbers are swelling of you know from crofters and farmers and all sorts, but maybe they don't have many leaders.
1: Um, I'm almost positive Dondarians I remember, yeah, reading a Donderian sort of like diatribe on on how his task wasn't done. Like he he right. was he was given this task to to clean up the Riverlands, and it, it's like he can't die until it's done. And I think mm-hmm. Thoros just supports that.
3: Yeah. Well, and, yeah, I agree. And also, with each time that he's brought back to life his legend and his celebrity grows, right?
1: Mm, yeah, no. It's, and it's, so
3: that's one thing where
1: mm-hmm.
3: Thoros is like, well, I yeah. brought him back three times and he's really popular, so why yeah. don't I bring him back a fourth time and he'll be even more of a superhero.
1: Yeah. And when you're it, in love with somebody, you want
3: to... You don't want to lose <laughs> him.
1: <laughs> the evidence
3: grows. <laughs> uh, that's not all that's growing. Uh, so as long as his... Man parts remain intact. Thoros <laughs> is going to
0: keep bringing him back. Just make sure he wears that cod piece into battle. So, uh, um, d- d- isn't it odd though that the the fame is going to Dendarian when the fame maybe should be going to Thoros and right. the-, the Red God should be getting some notoriety in these parts beyond just the Brotherhood without Banners? Like gaining a foothold is like a real power if it's really helping Dendarian stay alive like this you'd think
3: uh, instead it's kind of yeah it's playing second fiddle he's the support which thoros seems fine with
0: yeah anyway uh, so let's let's get to the meat of this so the the thing we wanted to talk about was how thoros uses these powers of regeneration to bring back uh Dadarian. he uses them later to bring back cat uh although it seems less effective well, to me with with cat right go ahead don does that oh Dundarian does that, it
1: yeah don passes dies. on the power oh
0: I forgot yeah. that. It's been too long he, since I read that he book. She French
1: kisses Stoneheart.
0: <laughs> yeah,
3: which is almost Hilarious. closer.
1: Uh, <laughs> almost.
0: Her old dead in a in river body dies. for days. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Uh so so we're really interested in John being brought back to life, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And does Melisander have that power that Thoros has to do this? We know she can birth birth shadow babies from her lady parts. Both labia involved, Brooke. Uh, Not really. But can she... Oh, they're involved. (laughs) I've seen it twice, close up. Uh, Does she have the power to bring back from the dead? Do you think she can do it too?
3: So far we haven't even... She hasn't even seemed to think about it yet. Yeah. Which could just be keeping it in hiding for this grand reveal that she does it to John. Yeah, And this Thoros stuff may be all just a big preparation Yeah, so that we know there's some precedent for it when she does it eventually.
0: We heard in a previous Arya chapter about how Thoros did it the first time. Wasn't it like an accident? He was just like praying over him and then all of a sudden he stood up? Well, there's this thing called uh, the last kiss that the
3: red priests call it. And they're supposed to be well-practiced in it. It's like a common practice for a red priest to learn this last kiss mm-hmm. where it's basically you're sending someone off quickly you, you kiss them and it's it's like they literally breathe fire into the person's like esophagus and everything and down into their lungs mm. and it burns them up and kills them and it's supposed to be this really ritualistic way of dying and stuff um, so he tried to do that on Barrick, intending to end his life and for a reason we don't know yet Barrick uh, responded in the exact opposite way and popped back to yeah. life um and then he you passed know. that same thing on to Cat. Uh, Where did you effect.
1: learn about this last kiss?
3: I'm not in... questioning
1: you. I'm just wondering, like, when it comes up because I just don't remember that. That's why I was. That's why
3: I was all confused and asking about. Uh... <laughs> if this happened in which chapter or what, because I read ahead two Aria chapters and it gets mixed up for me now, What happens in which chapters now of the three that I read. And I think it's in the next Aria one. It might okay. be the one after that.
1: Like Thoros explains?
3: Thoros explains it. And it's when Beric is talking about how many times he's been resurrected and all of okay. that stuff. Oh, okay. So that's why I got mixed up on what happened when I've thought the chapters have all run together for me now.
1: Playing with fire, man.
3: I know. And maybe that explains the uh, flaming sword thing that Beric's able to there's do with fire his... fire in his blood yeah, now? Because mm-hmm. now there's, like, fire within him, and so that allowed the flame on the sword to be lit, but I couldn't say that in the so portion of the cast.
0: So the others get their soldiers from newborn babes, and Relor gets his soldiers from recently deceased men <laughs> being breathed fire into.
3: Which is weird because they have like fire powers. According to Thoros, he's never heard of that happen before. Right. Where usually, like I said, it it kills them but when he, they do this kiss thing.
0: But he also says that there's new powers in the world now. Mm-hmm. He said that in this chapter, and things are all sorts of things are happening that didn't used to happen. It's just one of them.
3: Yeah, that's it's, a big one.
0: Yes, yeah. <laughs> Ralor waking up right and kind of coming back to the world in all these new ways. Right. Man, so this stuff is fascinating. I, I think I think in previous reads before I had you guys and like we were going really in depth. I've, I've said this before in this cast, like the religion stuff. Like I bypass a lot of it, especially the seven stuff. But I think I just kind of I'm like, yeah, they'll answer the religion thing later and how that all works. Let's just skip through it. But I'm really diving into it now, and I'm 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 so interested in really like which one is real, which one are they all real, you know, like. Danny's stuff, like, is that just magic, or is it powered by any sort of, like, there's so much there, man. Mm -hmm.
3: And to compare people within the same religion, right? You talked about comparing Melisandre and Thoros, right? And how different they are in terms of how they view their power, how they use it. Um, And it's interesting even to see, like we said, Thoros had kind of his, he found Jesus moment. It seems like he found R'lore, uh when he joined up with the Brotherhood Without Banners, right? Before, you know, just as an example, to light his sword on fire, uh, he would use wildfire. He'd kind of fake it. He'd use parlor tricks, kind of like Melisandre does. And now it seems like that's happening with blood and prayer and stuff like that. It mentions the next chapter, the one after it, he uses a flaming sword still when he fights too. Um, but I doubt he has a store of wildfire now. Um, I think mm-hmm. he's figured out the whole it, how to pray or bleed on the sword or whatever.
0: It's almost mm-hmm. like Thoros has stumbled into the old ways of how things are supposed to be done. And right. Melisandre is still practiced in the art of tricks that she has to use to get by and hasn't realized that the magic is real. There's mm-hmm. more to this. Yeah. That she can get away with doing it for real and she just doesn't know yet or something. And, right or maybe yeah. she doesn't have the power at all but...
1: in her point of view chapter she does like monologue about how she she feels the power of her lore and has his yeah. true belief but i'm not really sure about that i, th- I think she she's practice. more just yeah she's more just interested in um her personal showmanship
0: yeah well taking she... the religion thing to our world every person believes that they have the real religion and they feel the power of whatever god inside of them and pretty much all of them are mutually exclusive. So they're not all right. Uh. I, some people have that feeling and are wrong.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. So,
3: yeah. And it interesting to point out though. Um, I always equated the uh, like shadow babies and stuff to Relore when that's not part of the red God or the, that religion or anything that's completely different. Um, the shadow babies are from shadow binders that aren't necessarily, it's not a practice that's common in the religion of Valor. Uh It's completely different.
0: Oh, really? that comes, I thought they were tied together. Some that They're comes not?
3: from a shy. I think Melisandra yeah. has tied them together now, and now oh. she's kind of made the connection in how she talks about how shadows are the servants of light, and maybe that's how she justifies her having learned this ability or however she gained oh, it. But shadow binding—personal
1: interpretation.
3: Shadow binding comes from a shy, and as far as we know, as far as what's been revealed, it's not part of. The religion
0: of R'hllor. It's something that I always assumed. I always assumed that yeah, the religion you of R'hllor so started over in Ashai <clears throat> because because of Melisandre being a shadow binder that mm-hmm. that's where R'hllor comes from that that's his region of birth or whatever. That's where people know about him. If I wanted to learn more about the Red God that's where I'd go because that's his home base. Yeah. That's what I always assumed that maybe that's wrong. And there's not necessarily that connection.
3: Yeah, so, that's what you're saying. Interesting. And like the glamour stuff that she uses... That's like a, and it might go back to R'hllor too. I don't think it's ever, you know, uh, succinctly stated that it's not, but that's more of like a faceless men type thing and stuff. So we see that Melisandra, she's kind of like a liberal priestess. She, she, she takes she, what works. The, yeah, she yeah. takes yeah. from yeah. others and, yeah. she, you know, she's got all those things up her sleeve and stuff, all her little tricks and powders and everything. Um, but at the same oh, time, she does yeah. have a certain power. She can see things in the flame. Yeah. Remember how yeah. she made uh, Varamyr's eagle like blow up?
4: Yeah.
3: Like yeah. burn? Mm-hmm. Um, it talks about how she's walking around up in the north and like snow's melting around her. So there's some power inherent in Melisandre. But uh, it does seem like yeah. there's something missing.
1: It feels a little cancelled out by the fact she's banking everything on Stannis.
0: <laughs> or she's just using him for as long as she can, and she knows it, and she's just putting on a, a a good act. Yep. Although, well, her POV chapters talk about it, though, don't they? Where she says that she really believes in Stannis.
3: She does. Yeah. yeah From so. her one POV, it it seems clear that she's actually behind him.
0: Yeah. You're right. It does. Well, maybe we all have something to learn about the real power of Stannis the Manist then. Mm. Hmm. I know Brooks not buying it. Uh let's move on. Uh do you guys want to talk about the Valyrian Blades and Westeros or Jerry and Lannister? I feel like we covered the Jerry and Lannister stuff a little bit unless you guys know more.
3: There's not a whole lot to talk
0: about. Yeah. It's just more speculation will he do something. I I want to see him come back if 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 for no reason, I just want to know more about that whole area that no one will go near. Right. Like it feels it feels like a joke. It feels like Oh, yeah, don't go don't go to the smoking sea. Uh, they'll get you over there. Like, it's probably just fine. All right? I want somebody to come back and talk about it.
3: Yeah, well, Euron claims, Euron he's been claims there. Euron claims he has
0: been there, yeah, he's just
3: not talking yeah. about it. Euron's kind of a bragger, too, you don't know.
1: yeah I just said Euron has been there, and the mic mic cut out, and then you guys said it. I'm taking yeah. credit, okay? <laughs> Take taking you, can credit. It. you can have <laughs> it.
3: You can have it. You can have it.
1: <laughs> it would be cool if Tyrion runs into his uncle, though, like, maybe if he got, if, mm-hmm. his, if Jerry got, like, I don't know, washed up onto into Slaver's Bay or something. He does yeah. talk he's... about
3: how he's his favorite uncle and stuff like that, so mm-hmm. it would be nice for Tyrion, throw Tyrion a bone here, give him back at least his favorite uncle.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. that'd be cool. Uh, all right, well, that's enough on Tyrion. Let's talk about the Blades. Oh, and
3: if he did, sorry, if he did find Bright Roar and gave it to Tyrion or something... And this whole chapter with Tyrion not getting a Valyrian steel sword from Tywin. And now he does come back with the sword that Tywin's always missed. Mm-hmm. Bright Roar itself. Yeah. But Tywin's dead. I so. will trade it for my birthright. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk Valyrian blades.
0: Yeah, 200 in Westeros? What the fuck, man?
3: That seemed like a lot more than I expected. And I know of about like those eight? numbers.
0: Yeah, if we, that. Yeah, I mean, there, we know of hardly any.
1: Mm-hmm. There's a lot of houses in Westeros. Like there I are, I buy right? it. There's there's a ton. And then if even the like the, the smaller, uh less less wealthy houses have them, then ah. Yeah, I can see them scattered around. Well, well
0: but who would have them? I guess is I don't know, it's all speculation. Maybe this isn't that fun of a thing to discuss, but I it seems like the only people who would have them are very old families.
1: Yeah. The House of Scad would have one. <laughs> The, po- sh- the, pom- sure. the pommel would be like a dried up apple or something
0: what <laughs> i don't even know what that means i just had to i just had to throw my mock frustrated surprise what? at you for it what yeah, those i'm, I'm dolls indignant that that and are, i don't even are, know why that are
1: old people those dolls and the head is like a, a dried up apple no? I have you no don't idea, have idea what you're talking about. This okay, don't worry about me. it. This must uh, be a
0: Canadian thing where they like build their own toys because they don't have <laughs> access to stores because it's too cold to go. It's buy
1: really things. bad up here. Please send out. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: we do have
3: like some from, come from smaller houses, though. Like I know the uh, Lynn uh, Corbra. Corbra? they've yeah. got a they've got a Valyrian sword. But
0: again, they're a very old house,
3: right? As are the Mormonts. Yeah. I was gonna say they're not a huge house, but they are very old. Um. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There's anyway,
3: some... I... I think it's a good question: is how did they come across the Valyrian steel swords? What was like the impetus for getting one in the first place? Like, yeah. did you have to achieve something, or did they kind of hand them out to every house yeah. to protect against um, others. others and stuff? Yeah. Which, oh, that was a point that I also came up with too. Making that differentiation until now, we don't have any precedent of valyrian blades killing others
0: oh uh, we still don't nope what do you mean only dragonglass now? what do you mean until now didn't you say until now
3: yeah we still don't i meant to say still don't whatever that oh there's okay. there's nothing saying that or no proof that valyrian steel is effective against
0: others no sam has a I chapter think- way out uh, i think in dance where he's reading stuff that right. indicates um dragon steel mm-hmm. uh has effect against others. Right. And they he's supposing that dragon steel might be Valyrian steel because dragons come from Valyria and Valyrian steel and the name just got lost in time or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we don't have any proof. Yeah. Right. So far it's
3: mm-hmm. only dragon glass, it's only obsidian. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Which mm-hmm. there could there's obvious uh connections with fire and things yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know, obsidian is basically like frozen fire they've called it or something like that so yeah. um yeah there's that obvious connection there
0: mm-hmm. yeah uh anyway okay let's let's move on from the blades unless you guys have anything else um oh did you want to talk about that in context with team john
3: yeah not too much i just I, I found it a little funny that uh tyrian said that um that lords would part with daughters but never valerian blades and then we've got jaor who's the opposite um he's kept his daughters close you don't see his daughters like marrying out and leaving bear island seems like they've all stayed mm-hmm. but he uh, he pretty willingly gave up longclaw to jon and i think that that's a point that maybe george was trying to make that uh you know it's like hey i got a gift for you here's my however old valerian steel sword and then later on they say they don't give up swords that easily. So that just makes me think that Jor did have some greater idea in mind for John and knew of something going on there.
0: I mean, it still stands out to me as like one of the bone, one of the bonehead character moves in this whole series. I'm going to give someone who is virtually a perfect stranger my ancient house sword. It's right. like who does this? Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's unexplainable.
3: Except in the context of Team John.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. write it up.
3: Yeah. We get Someday. three weeks.
0: I don't know if you heard, but we get three weeks between podcasts now. You got time. Write it up.
3: Uh, <laughs> it just gives me more time to procrastinate until the next episode. <laughs> uh, I'm just teasing. Or read Star maybe. Wars novels, which I did. Me too. Uh, maybe this is a good segue into talking a little bit about, about Jorah or something, if you guys want. Sure. We get, I think that was a note that Brooke said.
1: Oh yeah, Um, so I don't know if you've listened to the latest Radio Westeros episode on Jorah Mormont. Um,
0: I haven't, sorry.
1: Okay, I I don't even know if I should spoil you for it, because it's pretty good.
0: I've been spending all my available audio time listening to the soundtrack for Hamilton, which is like crazy good. It's so, so, so good. Anyway. This keeps
1: on coming into my orbit, and there's nothing I want to watch less than a rapping musical.
0: I would have said the same thing. I'm not a fan of hip-hop, and it blew me away. Really? Yeah. Hmm. It's easily the my favorite music I've bought in the last ten years. Crazy. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Non-sequitur.
3: Lost her again. And we lost her. Maybe this is a sign that we need to be done for the night.
0: Yeah, I want to let her make her point about Jora though. before we Right, do. me too.
1: Sorry guys. So that's oh a good one. my god.
0: All right. Make okay. no more Hamilton stuff. Make your point about Jorah. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> oh, just that Jorah's last wish was that Jorah would join the Night's Watch. Um I think that it would be an act of redemption, sort of like a like a cleansing of all of Jorah's I would not say sins, but uh his 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 wrongdoings—the selling off slaves, um, I don't know, giving in to that awful wife of his, <laughs> abandoning mm-hmm. his family. Lyne's um, was it? Lyne's, yeah. yeah, the high tower.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But um, yeah, Rio Westeros covers it really well. But it it would just be a really great wrap up for his character to join the Night's Watch to uh, you know have that absolution and and. I don't know. I think he'd make a great member of the Night's Watch. He's obviously proven himself as a really great fighter. Um, it would go along with, you know, maybe if Dany's over in Westeros fighting the others with dragons, then he's on the Night's Watch supporting her. It would just be really great. That's my point. That's it.
3: I
0: yeah, agree. I I agree it'd be cool
3: fun. to think about. I think it would be cool and scary to see what would happen if john and i'm assuming that john resurrects and comes back to be john uh what would happen if they you know meet up for the first time and how awkward it would be to for Jor to be like you know that's my family sword. sword you know yeah. uh, uh, usually that's passed down from father yeah. to son and he's just like the real passive aggressive way of asking for the sword back he's like you know he gave it to you because he thought that i was like long gone and stuff but uh I'm, yeah. uh, I'm I'm around. here now. I'm I'm,
2: yeah, John so... would
1: be like, well, it has a wolf handle now, so <laughs> so kinda... maybe I should just like keep it. Yeah, you probably, yeah.
3: you probably no, wouldn't was... even want it anymore, would you? Probably. Yeah. Maybe no, I should just like... keep it. Like. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I got burned handskin on it. Mm, it's kind of it's kind of mine now.
4: <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right.
1: <laughs> yeah, that will be a great conversation. It's totally going to happen. John will be resurrected. He's alive.
4: Mm -hmm. I don't know.
1: Mm. Either that or he's Mormon's (laughs) raven and he's just like sitting on the sword as the (laughs) raven. (laughs) No. (laughs) No.
0: (laughs) You just keep saying snow. Snow Snow.
1: Snow. Snow. Snow.
0: (laughs) All right. right. Uh, Time to wrap up. Let's wrap this thing up. Yeah. All right.
1: Thanks everybody for joining us tonight. This is Brooke signing off saying uh, the house of Brooke would definitely have a Valyrian steel sword and the handle would be a cat.
3: No question. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is Matt signing off with a confession. I'm in love with a man. What? I'm in love with a man, a man named God. Does that make (laughs) me gay? Am I gay for God? You betcha.
1: It's always sunny. Very uh, nice.
3: I'm I'm in the midst of a it's always sunny rewatch and that just made me crack up the other night. So, there you go.
0: I'm just going to do my sign off as a a bit of an homage to George one of the just a, a line straight from Tyrion's chapter. I understand a marriage can be just as binding without a dancing bear. <laughs> Which he responds to Tywin when Tywin's saying he should find the money to pay for the wedding. Right. And Tyrion saying, why don't we make the wedding a little cheaper? I understand a marriage can be just as binding without a dancing bear.
1: <laughs> well, your wedding had a dancing bear.
0: Uh, yeah, but that was just my friend with his shirt off. He just looked like a bear.
3: That does sound like a conversation I had with my mother as she was planning our wedding. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> heard that before. Wait, wait, your mother planned your wedding? Uh, yeah, she loved it too
1: I, I bet your wife loved that as well yeah i bet she was all in on that
0: <laughs> anyways
3: <Good> night, guys.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> on that good night <laughs> see you guys bye
2: i'm a diamond in the rough a shiny piece of coal trying to reach my goal my power speech unimpeachable only 19 but my mind is older these new york city streets get cold
0: she's just not the kid type she's kind of like bentham she's not really the kid type uh ouch you you were the one that says it all the time
1: i try to like keep it down no you don't
0: i <laughs> won't pretend now listen we've got all our conversations on record we can go refer to them
3: yeah, Uh true and you do do a great job, Brooke, of pretending to be interested in the stories. When we tell, we tell stories, yeah, you do. So you I, are... commend yes. you yes. Actually, I commend you
0: for that. Actually, commend you for that.
1: Listen, <laughs> if we're commending each other, I will commend you guys for keeping it like toned down on the kids' great. stories. I appreciate that.
0: Oh, I... well, yeah. I, it's I, like it's like
1: you understand I, that while well, you love your kids and find them endlessly amusing, and and just love it when they have little silly anecdotes and mm-hmm. do cute stuff. You understand that nobody else cares. Absolutely. And that's great. That feels so good yeah. to know that you guys are on board with
0: that. It's pretty easy to <laughs> empathize because I know that when it's anybody else's stories about their kids, I usually blank I usually blank out and
3: I, I care zero. Yeah. If Gad starts talking about his family in any way. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just like turn off. Yeah.
0: <sighs> yeah. yeah. I step away and go to the bathroom. Yeah.
4: I'm joking.
0: Matt brought his I, kids I really into the office the other you. day, and I just pretended to be on a what? telephone call. Yeah, he didn't even, like, <laughs> look over.
3: He's <laughs> <was> like, there <laughs> they are again.
1: Yes.
3: It's One not true. I, I didn't know they were in there. Nikki, your- was like, Nikki was like, let's go say hi to Scott. And I was like, mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> You don't want to do that. Well, that
0: was more just because you're embarrassed of me. <laughs> also because of your haircut. But, uh, yeah. Oh, Anywhere. So
1: tragic. <laughs> Before we move on, I do want to say I do appreciate stories about your kids when it's like the tr- your traits are being adopted by your kids. Oh yeah, <laughs> mm. I do. I do want to hear about that tragic
0: mess. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think what I'm hearing adorable. is you want it to be affirmed that having kids sucks. You don't want it to hear the uh, the cute good stuff.
1: Oh, no, no! I just want to hear about them like talking about poop constantly <laughs> oh. or being being tiny curmudgeons. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. I've actually got a potential poop story tonight. Uh, we'll see how it feels when it comes when it comes time. <laughs> uh, that's
1: great. <laughs> but wouldn't it would be fun. You guys could like share a room, have a little slumber party. Oh, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah. me a sexy slumber party,
4: <laughs>
1: tiny nineties pillow wow. fights. <laughs> have
0: have you seen Matt I? <laughs> There's going to be nothing sexy about that slumber party. Well, well, well. <laughs> I've been I, known to turn it on. I do have man boobs. <laughs>
1: Oh my god!
0: Sorry, for the visual.
1: Uh, you guys, I'm sure would both pull off tiny lacy nightgowns very well. <laughs> I'm gonna I'll give
0: start, you that. I'll start shopping for one. <laughs> if it were too it's tiny, less. I wouldn't be able to pull it off. Like literally, I, it would be stuck <laughs> on kinda, me. You, You'd have to you cut, cut it off. <laughs> it just off
3: scad. Scad would just shamefully hand me a pair of scissors. And be, <laughs> Please. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs>